Outrageous. Outrageous. One and done. Yeah. Was it Tom Jones, Jack Jones? What's the name of the guy that sang this song? I think it's Jack Jones. Not I think Tom. Tom Jones. Tom was What's Up Pussycat. I think this is Jack Jones. <laughs> yeah. Tom Jones, uh, Danny Gans did a nice Tom Jones impression. <laughs> it all comes back to Danny Gans, doesn't it? My Delilah. I think that's Tom Jones. But how sad are you that this song right here that's playing, right here, this song, The Love Boat, is one and done. Just just drew a tough first round matchup with the Fresh Prince. The Fresh Prince, yeah. Strong. Fresh Prince is strong. <laughs> but the love boat is like iconic in our lives. Yeah. What, a, what a huge theme. Yeah. Always oh, had a little crush on the uh Vicky? Yeah. Was that Lauren Twos? Who did Lauren yes. Twos play? Vicky? Well Lauren Twos, I don't know if Vicky was her name, but the one who welcomed everybody aboard. Oh that was who that that, that was who Lauren yeah. I think that was Lauren Twos, right? Yeah, the yeah, one, yeah, yeah like the, the hostess. Yeah, the hostess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Came, yeah. Lauren Tews. Yeah. I've been waiting my whole life to tell a Lauren Tews story, and finally I have the chance. You don't even know who Lauren Tews is, though. You just <laughs> asked me which one she was. Was it Lauren Tews was the one that said. Right. I'm wondering what her name was on the show, though. She was the, yeah. Uh, we, we can come up with it. Yeah, all right. But Lauren Tews is uh, living in, well, last I saw of her, she was yeah. working at QFC in, uh, in Seattle on Capitol Hill. Stop it. She was the cheese steward. Stop at it. At QFC in Seattle. Stop. Julie. Julie. Yes. Julie McCoy. You, Ju- Julie McCoy. Your, your love boat hostess? Your love boat. Yeah, I don't know if it's hostess. No, I don't no, think no, it is. Your love Do- boat welcomer? Dossier, your love, uh, your love boat something. Yeah. yeah. Your love boat something. Yeah. Julie. She's not working at QFC. Well, she was last time I saw her. Come Last time you saw her. You say that as if you see her 16 times a, a year. Well, I did live on Capitol Hill for a while, so I'd go oh, to that did. store often, yeah. And I, I know it was her. You're telling me the actress that played Julie? <laughs> yeah. If you want to know the difference between a Munster and a mozzarella, she's your person. She's the cheese steward. Was she always from, like, she, I, I never even heard that she had Seattle roots, that's Julie. Where my, that's where my story is I think about if her. people knew that Love Boat would have won. <laughs> I think so, too. <laughs> I think we can get her on now, actually. <laughs> you just got to go shopping. Uh, you find her. Love Boat is out. Yeah. Love Sad. Boat is out. Did you watch it? Were you a big Love Boat of guy? Of course. Now, was that was it Love Boat, then Fantasy Island that's on exactly Saturdays? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I think one was at 9, and one was at 10, or one was at 8, and one was at 9. I think it was remember. 9. On ABC. Yep, 9 and 10, because I could never make it through Welcome Fantasy Island. To fan- I never really liked Fantasy Island. Yeah, I didn't really get the premise. Oh, I got the premise. <laughs> oh, I was five. I mean, was Be careful it? what you wish for is the premise. Is that right? Yeah, you go to Fantasy Island to, to live out your fantasies. Mr. Rourke, little tattoo. Sure. Hermann Villachez. And the whole thing was every single week, you'd think that these people would know before they come on <laughs> that their fantasy was not going to be what it was all cracked up to be. And then they ultimately come off the island feeling like, I've got it good just the way I got it. Oh, gotcha. But every <laughs> week. Every week. You would think after like two or three weeks yeah. of it. <laughs> the word would have spread. People would have stopped going on. And then, right. then we would have no show. I mean, Mr. Rourke and Tattoo would be like, is anybody coming? There would have been no the plane. <laughs> There'd be no plane. No planes. Every single week, the fantasies didn't go well. So was it? Was there like a supernatural <laughs> element to it, or I don't, I don't think so. But if they make so. people's fantasies come true, that I mean, they has to be some sort of magic, right? Yeah, yeah. It can't I guess, be me dressed as Heather Lockley or coming in to no. fulfill your fantasy. I, mean, it's, it's gotta, I hope not. <laughs> I mean, there's got to be some sort of magic uh, to it. Oh, I sure hope not. All right, anyway. we're, we're only going to do 45 more minutes on Fantasy Island, and then we'll get to the show, right? <laughs> Deflate, deflate. Episode 88, subscribe, listen, and rate. Very important to always at least click play. Go back and click play on all previous shows. Please, please, please. Any shows you've never listened to or you haven't gotten an opportunity to, just go back and hit play. It all helps. You it said, really does. You said 88. Is this 88 or 89? 
This is 88. It is 88. I think it's 88. Okay. See, now you got me all confused. Is it not 88? Here, let me have a look here. I I feel like we did 88. (laughs) Oh, no. Have I been misrepresenting this as 88 all these all this time? <laughs> Hold on, let me let me take a look here. All right, I'll just shut up. It's 88. 87 was Fred Couples. Okay, so it's 88. It's 88. I'm sorry. I, I thought it would have been episode Pete Metzelars, and that's why it threw me. Uh, it's 88. Me. We haven't okay. done 88. We haven't done Michael Irvin yet. Oh, good one. We haven't done a Tula Mealy yet. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody should put together an all Seahawk preseason team. Oh. He went off in the preseason. He would start at tight end for sure. Very important to always click play on all the episodes, including the ones that are a figment of Hot Shots imagination. <laughs> the fake 88. Please the click fake on eight. it. Please click on all of the previous shows. It really does help us. If you'd like to become a patron, $5 a month. Uh, extra shows each week. We will do 88P right, on Thursday. I got, got it? Mm-hmm. We will have a full episode, episode 88P on Thursday. Just co- it just costs $5 a month or whatever you want to spend. Uh, the last four patrons, I did this last week, Brian Jones, Luke Hagler. Now, there's a last name that, that really brings back memories. Hagler. Boxing? Of course. Marvin, marvelous Marvin Hagler. This is a guy that I would love to interview. If you talked about... Maybe five or ten guys or gals that I've never gotten a chance to interview that has something to do with sports, he probably would would be on that list. He's an an entirely captivating and interesting story to me. Was he, Marvin Hagler? Was Marvin Hagler the one that moved to Italy? Yes. Okay. And hasn't really been seen. Dropped from, off the yeah. face of the earth after he lost the controversial, huge bout with Sugar Ray Leonard that a lot of people still think he won. He literally after he walked out of that arena did no interviews became an italian actor did some commercials in italy and no one has heard from marvin Hagler since well literally just, that's one of the reasons why i want an interview no one he's done no interviews he's turned down every this is like 30 20 years ago right 25 20 it's probably 30 years ago that that fight happened and he hasn't been heard from since he totally dropped off the entire face of the earth marvelous marvin Hagler. i wonder if he's on twitter he has to be no i don't know you don't think so no way that's a strange. He's story. gone into hiding since that that match. Who else was in that division? It was like it was the prime. Tommy Hearns. Yeah, Tommy Hearns. Sugar Ray Leonard, Marvin Hagler, No Moss, Roberto Duran. Yeah, what yeah. a oof. yeah. Well, they were all in that around that. Okay. You know, they, they they change weights all the time. Anyway, Brian Jones, Luke Hagler, Michael Tenney, and Arnie Wedby are the last four as of the time that we're recording. The last four to sign up to become a patron. So. Welcome, Brian, Luke, Michael. See, Luke Hagler just gave me an opportunity to talk about Marvin Hagler. That's right. If it weren't for Luke Hagler becoming a patron, you can do all of the the dominoes here. If Luke Hagler didn't become a patron, I would not have just spent three minutes talking about marvelous Marvin Hagler. From Brockton, Massachusetts. Sugar Ray Leonard, Marvin Hagler. I'll never forget it. How do you know that? In fact, did I say 30 years? It's probably 35 yeah, it was. I think maybe? it was when it. When, I think it was when I was in college. So I think it was okay. between eighty-five and eighty-nine. So it's somewhere in there, like yeah. 30, 30. Over Unbelievable. 30 years. Anyway, a guests on episode what? I'm guessing it's eighty-eight. It from is. What I hear. It is. Okay. I, I don't like to oversell guests, so I'm going to be careful on this. Okay. Well, just by saying that, I think you sort of oversold <laughs> a little bit. Okay, I'm with Too you. Late. Go on. Yeah. Too late. Kind of like we've already done eighty-eight. Right. Uh, <laughs> How do I say this? We decided to ask John Tesh, the internationally renowned 
John Tesh. Yeah, everyone just seems to know who he is, of right? For whatever they do. reason, everyone you knows do. who he is. Mostly because of if you're my age, mostly because of Entertainment Tonight with Mary Hart. Yeah, that's right in my wheelhouse too. <laughs> that's that's how I know. But then he went on to radio. That's also oh, how I knew of him. He's gone on to everything. Yeah, talented. Emmy Awards, TV, radio, composer. He sold eight million albums. He's a Jeez. really talented guy. But people, how would you describe people when I say John Tesh? What's the first thing that comes into most people's minds? Soft. Yeah. Nice guy. Cheesy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, why would we have John Tesh on the show? Well, I know why we would. Yeah. Why? Well, he created the NBA on NBC. Right. Yeah, yeah. Called Round Ball Rock. It has a title, Hot Show. Oh, sorry. Yes. He 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 created the... And it's in our it's in our bracket, right? I listened to it today, actually. I was you watching did. a 1993 game, the Bulls and the Knicks. And live you probably from- heard Marv Albert. You know, and the, the czar of the Telestrator. The czar of the <laughs> Telestrator. Yep. Uh, that's right. And And so we thought... What the hell? Let's see what John Tesh is up to. Sure. I had no idea. Again, I don't I don't know what to say, except <laughs> I got up this morning, the, the morning we're doing this, to record an interview with John Tesh. I never expected what I got. Hmm. The guy is obviously talented. The guy is funny. The guy is self-deprecating to no end, is always right? taking shots. Completely <laughs> understands and gets. I when you listen it. to this interview, you're going to say, "Okay, he he understands that people look at him that sure. way," and, and he's just he's just happy to discuss the song that changed his life. That song changed his life, despite the fact that he's done a million other. That ch- that song changed his life. I don't. I didn't know that. Most people, a lot of people know how that song came about. A lot of people don't. Where he was in Europe and he got this idea and he knew that NBC was looking for a song for their new NBA package and he's like, I got it. It, it popped into his head and he t- to be able to remember Gosh. it, he called his answer machine <laughs> and he tells a funny story. He says, I tell the story at every concert, but I have to put up, put up a picture of an answer machine because most people <laughs> in the audience don't know what an answer machine That's is. So funny, <laughs> right? And he still has the message. He plays the message at his concert of him going, Hey. Just remember this song, da, 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 and he and he does it on the machine. It's crazy. It just popped in his head, though. I popped still, in I his still head. Can't get past that part. Popped in his head, and and so I had, I did twenty minutes with John Tesh. He also, by the way, just coincidentally has a new book out. So he was thrilled to oh, come out a memoir. He was given eighteen months, I think, to live. Oh. He had prostate cancer a few years ago. He was given eighteen months to live, and he outlived it, and he's healed now. And without overselling it. I dare you not to enjoy this. I dare you not to enjoy him. <laughs> okay. You okay. are going to enjoy it. He's a storyteller. He's self-deprecating. He's funny. He's a performer. He I mean, is terrific. I want to replace you with him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. But I don't want to oversell the interview. <laughs> I don't have any things in my head. I don't even yeah. know what episode it is. Anyway, that's right. Uh, John Tesh, Jason Lock and Fora on the draft and Tua and Seahawks. And, you know, the draft is this Thursday. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And then we're going to have... 25 years ago, I think I mentioned this to you, 25 years ago on the old radio show, I brought I brought Larry Stone in, and I brought, like, Claire Farnsworth in, yep. and we created what we called at the time the Seahawks Roundtable. And a guy from Everett. And a guy from Everett. Who I can't come up with. And then we, but there's names have changed. Drew Huyu Millen came in. A lot of people have come in, come okay. and gone, including me. <laughs> <laughs> the guy that created it. <laughs> but I believe, now I'm not a huge listener, but I believe... <clears throat> That it still goes on to this day. They still have the Seahawks Roundtable okay. on radio. I don't think they call it Seahawks Roundtable. They call it the 12th Man Roundtable. We had to change the name a few years ago. So I was thinking, 
what if I got two Seahawks writers, two Seahawks insiders, our guy Brady and Joe Fan of, of NBC Sportsnet, both that cover the Seahawks, and I put them on two different phone lines, and we did like a, a conversation, like yeah. a, a group chat conversation. What would we call it? And I decided we're going to call it the Seahawks No Table. Okay, I like the it. The first ever Seahawks <laughs> No Table on this episode. Uh, 80-something, 88, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. So John Tesh, Jason Lockenfora, and the first ever Seahawks No Table on episode 88. So when you got up to record Tesh on oh. a scale of 1 to 10, your excitement level for it was... Were you like a three, a four? Like, I'd say I was like a seven. Oh, okay. So you, you didn't... I was a seven. I thought it was different. I knew he'd be into telling us the story of of the NBA on NBA. The NBA on. I was. The only question was, was I going to break into more? I um, when he started, you'll hear the interview. Okay. I, don't, I don't want to give away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What him doing the? I was. I was. I was this close to while he was doing that, going. The Chicago Bulls, and just, and just <laughs> he, him doing it, me doing <laughs> oh, that's it. Awesome. <laughs> I'm glad it worked out. I'm excited to hear from him. Uh, episode 88, Hotshot. You can imagine the stress that the Schwartz family, Daniels, Broiler employees, all under during these unprecedented times. How can you help such a wonderful partner of ours on Mitch Unfiltered for so many years? Well, beyond purchasing gift cards at DanielsBroiler.com, don't forget that Schwartz Brothers baked goods. You see them on display at your favorite grocery store. Same company, same fantastic product. We love the chocolate croissants, and the Levy family just got another batch from the Schwartz Brothers Bakery. The Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage, 425-250-3150. You'll hear from Jordan Flowers here on 88. Low interest rates, buying opportunities. News for those of you that are having trouble with monthly payments with three top 1% brokers in the Kirkland office alone. Jordan Flowers has a great team to save you money, cheap money, buying opportunities. The Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Evergreen Golf Call. The market continues to slowly rebound a little bit. Tyler Hayes' team listening to you and understanding its clients' needs for decades. Responsibly growing families' money. Private Wealth Management Division with offices along the West Coast, headquartered here in Bellevue. Evergreen and its clients well positioned to be able to take advantage of some opportunities that are coming along in the economy. Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. And Zeke's Pizza, President Dan Black is with us on 88. Many of you know that I've been delivering pizza to healthcare workers here in the Northwest as a way to say thank you. To all these selfless people for keeping us safe, Zeke's Pizza delivers. Download the Zeke's Pizza app. It's safe. It's delicious. You can pay in advance. You can tip in advance. Zeke's Pizza and their delivery service, plus all the beer that you want, the local beer that you want, homegrown in the Northwest. Here comes episode 88, and it's a dandy. It starts right now unfiltered let's assume you're a guy who has a lot of money you're an all-star you're an nba all-star and you have a lot of money but you're making 20 million 25 million a year i don't care how much money you have you want that 25 you want that extra 20 you don't want to get you don't want to give up that 20 25 million i mean if you're Kawhi leonard Kawhi leonard's got all the money he needs but yet he, he could earn another 25 or 30 million by playing basketball in vegas you know, going from my hotel to, yeah, I can I can hang with you. I mean, I would think that most of those guys would say, yeah, I'm in. Unfiltered. I'm getting a little annoyed about the whole Jadeveon Clowney thing. Let's not be left in the lurch for a couple of extra bucks. Because if he goes somewhere else, 
because he's either pissy with the Seahawks because the Seahawks wouldn't meet his demands or they just won't pay what the other team. I just wonder, I mean, if you can get Clowney at a year, for a year at $17 million, one year $17 million, or two years $35 million, whatever it is, at, at this point, uh, what are we doing here? Let's bring him back. Mitch is unfiltered. Episode number 88, Hot Shot Scott, is now officially underway. The the episode of Tulu Mealy. Yeah, I said before, he's the greatest preseason <laughs> tight end in the history of the Seahawks. That guy would go off in the preseason. Do you remember Marquise Cooper, University of Washington, Washington defensive yeah. like end linebacker who yeah, passed yeah. away suddenly, I believe, in a, in a was it a, a boating accident when he was in the National Football League? Yeah, he was 26, I think. Pretty young he guy. He wore number 88 yeah. at Washington. How about Jimmy Graham? Oh, Jimmy Graham. He was number 88 for your Seattle Seahawks. Very, very much maligned oh, when he was here. People did not oh like Jimmy God, Graham. Oh, my God, they hated Jimmy Graham, <laughs> didn't they? Just another one of those, oh, my God, this is so exciting that we have him, and then it doesn't really work out the way you think it's going to work Remember out. him at the Saints? Yes. He was unbelievable. Un- the best. He was changing the position. Yes. I remember So much so that when he got franchised, he petitioned the league to be franchised as a wide receiver, not a tight end. He considered himself more of a wide receiver than a tight end. Wow. And they and they did some sort of presentation to the NFL of here's how many plays I played outside. I, I didn't even play as a tight end. He wanted the money. He wanted wide receiver money oh, instead gotcha. of tight end money. And then he came here. And it was going to be an unbelievable connection with Russell Russell Wilson. We're getting Russell Wilson, the best tight end in the yeah. NFL. And then, you know, he's kind of a pilot. Like, a, he just wanted to fly his planes around the Puget Sound area. He flew into practice. He flew into practice. Yeah. It never, I mean, there were some good games. And in his defense. It just never really clicked. But right? he got hurt. He got hurt his first year with Seattle, I want to say. And then he came back and he just didn't have that explosiveness that he had. He was a different guy. So it's kind of – I always took it a little easier on him because he, he had a pretty bad injury to his knee. He looked a little thicker, like maybe just was weightlifting a it lot. It just never worked out. He wasn't the same it's guy we saw in New Orleans. just part of a long line of it just didn't work out in Seattle. <laughs> Is Percy Harvin on that list? Oh, God. <laughs> What's the guy from New England we just talked about? <laughs> yeah, right. What's the, the guy? Super Bowl MVP? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dion Branch. Branch? Yeah. Oh, my God. Now, does every team have those stories? Uh, no, or is we it... just just the Seahawks. <laughs> <laughs> if you brought a guy in from like the Bengals, would he say the same thing, or is it uh, just probably? Okay. They probably complain about other things for the for the yeah, Bengals. Yeah, that's but true. I'm telling you. So it's not going to be episode of Tulamili. Not going to be episode Jimmy Grand. Uh, there are some really good ones, really good national ones. 88s, yeah. I mean, you go to Lynn Swan. Oh. Wore 88 for the Steelers. One of the most graceful wide receivers you ever see. Remember the catch in the Super Bowl in Miami? You were a kid. The ball was juggling. He was he was like climbing over. A, de- a defender was on the ground. That's and he right. was keeping yeah. his balance and catching the ball. 88, Lynn Swan. Um, 88, Allen Page. We'll come back to him later. When we do this later, we'll come back to him. Allen Page. Do you remember the purple people? The I don't purple remember. people eaters. I know he was on defense. I just I don't know. Oh my god, about Alan, Alan Page. Page. We'll come back to Alan Page because <laughs> okay. it's not just NFL with Alan Page. Okay. Yeah. Was he on Webster? Uh, no. Better. Okay. 
He was only a Supreme Court justice in the state of Minnesota. Really? Yeah, after his playing days were over. That's yeah. impressive. Yeah, he was. <laughs> okay. Uh, John Mackey out of Syracuse, one of the greatest tight ends of all time, wore number 88. Michael Irvin wore number 88. A guy that I confused for 87 in our last show. Remember, we were talking Sidney Crosby, and I was like, is he on Pittsburgh or is he on Philadelphia? Yeah, he's in yeah. one of those Pennsylvania NHL teams, and I was mistaking him for Eric Lindros, Lindros yeah. who wore number 88. Oh, there he is. He's back. Two episodes in a row. And then... <laughs> If you really want just sports accomplishments, like if we go overall accomplishments, it's going to be Alan Page. Okay. We'll get to him in, you know, at the end. But if you're going to go to just sports accomplishments, probably it's episode, even better than Michael Irvin, episode Tony Gonzalez. Oh, Probably right. the greatest tight end. One of the, one of the top two tight ends in the history of the NFL. Who would Tony be, Gonzalez. Who would be the other one in the conversation with him? I think it's just him. Well, we talked about this. Shannon Sharp. Oh, Shannon. I always forget about Shannon Sharp. <laughs> Shannon Sharp. Of course, uh, yeah. no, Jimmy Graham. <laughs> <laughs> Tony Gonzalez was great. And there's, oh. a, I think there's a 30 for 30 on him. Or I just watched something recently on him. He was a, a really shy kid, and then he just grew into his own to be the greatest. Hot shot, I ever. have an announcement to begin episode 88. Oh, boy. I'm ready for this. Twice this week, I did two things that we've talked about a lot in the last few episodes. Twice this week, I, I watched Tiger King. Twice. So I've seen two episodes. Okay. And twice this week, I have participated on a Zoom call. Oh, wow. You're... I, am now, I am now a Zoom veteran. I mean, you're really first-team all quarantine yes, right and, now. Yes, and I don't mind admitting it. I'll just come out and say it. One was a therapy session, <laughs> yeah. like, you, like you pointed out. You caught me <laughs> yeah, red-handed. That was wildly one, one, specific. <laughs> one was a therapy. I, I, did, I did do a therapy session glad you're still on doing Zoom. That. And the other one was I, I needed to sign you know, a notary public. Yes. I needed to sign and get witnesses and so forth for something, that, a family thing. And I was like, well, who am I getting as witnesses unless I do it with Hotshot comes in on yeah, Sunday? I don't or- want any part of your <laughs> nonsense. I don't know what I'm signing. So I or- literally had to do a signing a signing on a Zoom conference call. They had to watch you do it. They had to watch me do it. Really? The notary, pub, the notary public and the witness had to watch me do it. Interesting. So there's little boxes. And in both, I'll just tell you, and I know that people are not going to find this. Anybody who's listened to me over the years knows. I took a sticky note, a yellow sticky note in both occasions, and I put it over my the box that has my own picture on it. I didn't put it over the, the camera. The camera. Gotcha. Everybody else saw me. Yeah, yeah. I just didn't want to keep looking at me. On the screen. So in both of the therapy <laughs> sessions, the therapy sessions in the Notary Public, I put a yellow sticky Jeez. note over my picture so I could see everybody else but not me. And that was fine. I hate it. I hate seeing myself. I can't too, stand it. I pull a hat down. I can't and, stand yeah. it. I can't stand taking pictures. But have you, I just, it's just awful. It's always been that way? Or always. Or is, is it the, the age getting to you? No, or, it's always been that way. Since I've had the profile. Well, <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> At three months. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, uh, you tell me. I mean, yeah, I've never liked myself on pictures. I try not to look at myself in the mirror. I just, I, I hate, I hate, I, I just, I, I find that interesting. My family gets very frustrated with me because I won't be in a picture. Yeah. They, I just refuse to take pictures. And so this is something I'm still working on. But, uh, you getting once, my arms around. You that, once actually. told me you resembled Tom Cruise. So I'm a little confused at the fact that you wouldn't want to take I pictures. never told you that I resembled Tom Cruise. <laughs> I feel like you told me that once. I said to you that people used to, when I was, a, when I was younger, okay. used to say that there was a resemblance. They also used to say I look like John Lovitz. And they also used to say that I look like... <laughs> Ray Romano. Ray Romano. <laughs> and they also used to say that I look like the Silverman guy in Weekend with Bernie's. I told you about that guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's been a lot of them, yeah. All right. Rick Pat- uh, not Rick Pitino. Uh, John Calipari I used to get when I was, a, when I was younger, 30s okay. yeah, and 40s. Yeah, I can 40s. see that. Yeah, anyway. yeah. Anyway. So Tiger King, tell me. No, I, I, I want to start with Zoom. Oh, Zoom. Okay, go ahead. Well, my, my idea, I texted you. 
Oh, yes. I like it. I like I'm your afraid idea. this is one of those things that could be a home run, but it could be just the, the shits. What, <laughs> what, what worries you? The idea is, what if we just did a Zoom with, with listeners of Mitch Unfiltered? I, I'm all we for it. We just set up a Zoom. Now, I don't know how to set up a Zoom. You don't know how to set up a Zoom. <laughs> and we just found out before we started recording that even like nine-year-old Steve doesn't know <laughs> right. how to open up. <laughs> so none of us really know. So I need somebody to like email me help or whatever. I think it's pretty easy. But what if I just set up a Zoom? I was thinking the Thursday. This coming Thursday is the NFL draft. Yes, it is. Everybody's excited about the draft. Even me. And I don't even like the NFL draft, but it's just something. It feels right? like a part of normalcy is coming back. It's like, well, no, I, forget normalcy. It's just something to do. Yeah. It's something to do, so it's got me all excited about it. What if at 4 o'clock, that starts at 5 Pacific time, what if at 4 o'clock we sent out a link on on Twitter or on, on the patron site or a combination of both, and we just sent it out and we said, hey, Come join us, and we can have. We were just we're we're we're, we're cheap. We don't have the the the, the premium Zoom, yeah. so we only get forty minutes, <laughs> and we get a hundred people. Forty minutes and a hundred people. What if we said four o'clock Pacific time before the draft starts? You, me, nine-year-old Steve, <laughs> right. we're all going to get in the Brady Bunch boxes, yeah. and just the first hundred. I mean, there's not going to be a hundred people. There might be nine. I don't know if anybody's going to do this. Anybody want? And we'll just get on and we'll talk and we'll do Q&A, answer questions about the old, I used to do a radio show. Oh, yeah. I don't know. People always seem to have questions or comments about sports or we'll just joke, we'll laugh, we'll kid, whatever. We do a Zoom Mitch Unfiltered call with listeners on Thursday. First of all, do you think it's a good idea? Second of all, will you participate? And third of all, do you have any idea how to pull this off? <laughs> good idea. I'm in. No idea how to pull it off. <laughs> It can't be that hard. No. It can't be that difficult. Will anybody do this? Will anybody come be with us? Who says Mitch doesn't take calls? Look at you. You're taking calls. 100 people That's, coming this is, in. This is why I never took calls because the phones never rang. <laughs> well, you never only unless it was Only if it was the bigger dance voting. Then the phones rang off the hook, right? right? Yeah, bigger yeah. dance voting. You know. You, what, what Jenny! <laughs> Cheryl! That whole thing. I used to hear some hosts say, the phone lines are wide open. <laughs> like, okay, you may not want to announce that to the world that nobody gives a shit. <laughs> anyway, I like it. I'm in. Let's do it. I'll be in my house just chilling, talking to listeners. I love it. It's great. Are think- people going to show up or is it going to just be the three of us talking? Because I, I really don't need to talk to you anymore. Than I, I'll see you Wednesday yeah. for Thursday's show. We I see you Sunday. We don't need that. No. No, no, no. No, I think people are going to show. Okay. We're going to do a Zoom. The first ever Mitch Unfiltered Zoom call. On Thursday at 4 p.m., if you're interested, should I have people email me? Mitch at MitchUnfilter.com. If you want to teach us how to do it, Mitch at MitchUnfilter.com. Sure, yeah, yeah. If you want to be a part of it, I'll send you the link, whoever, whatever, whatever. Whoever wants, whoever wants in, we'll just have a bunch of boxes. Isn't that the way it works, like Brady Bunch? Yep, a bunch of boxes. Well, well, you know. But unless you're on your phone, you can see three at a time, I think. But the, uh, the computer's good because you can yeah. see lots. I think you're going to get, I, I have a feeling people are going to want to do it. What else are they doing? No, nobody's doing anything. No that's doing the anything. whole point. Yeah, yeah. That's why, I'm doing, that's why I'm doing it. So people know that if you're the 101st to get in, now how does that work? Can you get in early? I don't know. To save your spot? Stop asking questions. <laughs> we need a Zoom expert to come. Somebody will email me. Somebody will say, Mitch, I have a business and I use this all the time. Here's okay. what you do. I'm more concerned with, is anybody going to show? Gotcha. Or is it just going to be like six listeners no. of you and me? No, people are going to show. Okay. I have faith in okay. our listeners. I'm okay. dying to tie. I think it's going to be fun. I'm dying for human interaction with somebody besides you, my wife, and my kid. I like Tiger King. Okay. 
you told me I wouldn't, or you told me I would, or you told me I wouldn't. I'm not sure where you stand on that. I told you I loved it. I hope you like it. I've seen two episodes. Didn't I'm in. I think you would. I'm in. Tell me where you're at really quick. I can't remember. I don't know where I'm at. It's all it's all pretty much the same thing. Okay. I, I don't know exactly where I'm at. Yeah, the 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 girl lost the arm. Oh I got yeah. That. Now, if if you notice in her interviews before, she has. My wife didn't notice, but I noticed there was a nub there. Yeah. And then they. Are like, Your wife didn't notice, but you did. <laughs> oh yeah, I was like. Yeah. But I didn't want to ruin it for her. Yeah. I, was like, I think that I think she's missing an arm. <laughs> and then they cut. Can I just tell you how awesome it is that Joe, whatever his name is, Joe Exotic, Joe Exotic, yeah, happened to have on his EMT jacket while that was going down. Now, did he go do a quick costume change <laughs> for the cameras while she's know. bleeding out? How did he happen know. to have that jacket on? I don't know. He's got a jacket for every occasion. All I know, somebody wrote me that it's a shit show, <clears throat> and that's exactly what it is. Oh, they nailed it. Yeah, that's exactly what. That's, it, that's it. what it should be called. But yeah. I'm in. I'm in. Good. You're going to go for three. I'm going to go for three. three. I'm going to go for three. Where do you stand on the the oft-hyped or the, the mega-hyped Jordan documentary, the 10-part? Oh, my God. It's going on right as oh we speak. Oh, my God. <laughs> How excited are you? This is the same thing like the draft. Like, every year for, for 20 years on the radio show, I used to make fun of the NFL draft. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Made fun of it. I, I claim that... None of us really know who these people are. Yeah. We didn't really know who these people were six six weeks earlier. Now we all pretend that we're experts on all of these guys. And you don't know how they're going to do. No, you don't know how they're going to do. So you didn't do a and mock, I, and I, and a mock I, and draft? And I find, I find that it takes a long time. The NBA draft, for example, goes like this because yeah. there's not as much time between picks. I never loved the NFL draft. I was always the guy that, okay – I'll, tell me who the Seahawks got, who the Dolphins got after. I was never the guy that wanted to sit down and watch it. Now okay. I can't wait because <laughs> yeah. I'm just looking for something to do. Same thing on the Michael Jordan thing. I don't know why everybody is so hyped. Maybe you can explain it to me. My sons, God bless them. They both want to watch. They never they never saw Michael Jordan. They're, yeah. they're too young to remember Michael Jordan. I loved Michael Jordan. I think he's the greatest of all time. What is it that I haven't seen? I'm I'm a little skeptical. What is it that's so damn exciting that I haven't seen? And by the way, there's actually a small world Mitch story on the whole presentation of the Michael Jordan thing. But go ahead. I think part of it is what you said. People, being a sports fan to me, the most fun is the anticipation. Yeah. Knowing it's Thursday, we only yeah. got two more days or three more days till that. You know, the, I yeah. love having something to look forward to. Yeah. It's part of it. But in 1998, their lives, all of our lives, weren't documented. I don't have any videotape of me from 1998. You probably don't either. You don't, Barely any pictures. I refuse to get on camera. Well, yeah, you're a bad example. <laughs> so the fact that this film exists from a time where yeah. things weren't always documented. Like, my, my daughter has every second of her life documented, either on picture or I video. I don't know. I just feel like I've seen so everything love, of Michael Jordan hugging the trophy, crying after his dad died on the ground. It's the last. Know, doing his thing, but being just, sick against Utah, beating, yeah. beating the Sonics, playing golf with John Bracken. I mean, I feel like I've seen... I, I, f- I feel like and maybe once I watch this, I'll have a different perspective with you the next time we visit. Yeah. Actually, it's going to be going on for weeks and weeks and weeks. Two right? episodes dropped the first okay. night. But this is 97, 98. This is his last yeah, championship with the Bulls. Yeah. And so, it, first of all, why would you let him leave or let, let Phil Jackson? Phil Jackson left and won five more, by the way. What's Jerry Krause doing? I want to know. I want to get behind the curtain on that whole thing. Yeah. I'm interested. I'm fascinated with uh, it. I'm going to watch it because, again... Anything looks good at this particular yeah. point. And my kids, anything that my kids will watch with me. That's great, yeah. Especially if they'll watch it from the same room. Sometimes they don't want to watch it. The same. <laughs> Dad, you watch here, I'll watch somewhere else. Right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch it, and maybe, uh, I, but I'm not as fired up. I'm just wondering what the intrigue. What I did read was that Adam Silver, the Pied Piper commissioner of the NBA, was once the executive director of something called NBA Entertainment. Okay. 
Do you know what that is? So yeah. NBA Entertainment is is the is the office of the NBA that handles all of all of the video, all, all of the games, all oh, of the video. Wow. They okay. have you know it's the, the NFL films equivalent. Yeah, no, it's exactly okay. right. Damn it. And he was once the executive producer, the guy who who headed NBA okay. Entertainment. Okay. And I read an article that said that when he asked Michael Jordan and the Bulls to do this during that season, Jordan and him, the only way Jordan said yes is they had a deal. The two of them had a deal. Okay. That none of this footage could ever be released without the permission of both guys. So Silver had to sign off and Jordan. So Jordan always knew, I have the, I have the ultimate right. And so far, until now, he's never signed off on any of this being shown. Huh. And so for whatever reason, he and Silver liked what ESPN was going to do, and they both signed off. Now, the six degrees of Mitch or eight degrees of Mitch is when I was a freshman at Syracuse University – I wanted an internship in New York in my summer instead of going home to Florida. My brothers, both of them, my older brothers, lived in New York. So I applied for an internship at NBA Entertainment. I was an intern in 19, the summer of 1986 with NBA Entertainment, which was in this hole-in-a-wall yeah. office in Manhattan with like six people. Yeah, who was your boss? Ahmad Rashad? Was, the guy's name was Donnie Sperling, and he <laughs> okay. created the show for Ahmad Rashad and oh. Hannah Storm of the, the NBA. Whatever. Inside stuff? Inside stuff. He yeah. created it. No way. There was, was only joking. six people. Now, NBA Entertainment, <laughs> oh, as yeah. you can imagine, Forget is the biggest it. thing. So before Adam Silver came along, Mitch Levy was in there. Oh, I was stayed. in it, and if I had stayed there, I probably would have moved. If I, yeah, tried, sure, I could have moved up you after I graduated. Commissioner of the goddamn could, NBA. <laughs> you could be <laughs> Oh my God! Imagine. I mean, what does Adam Silver have on you? What, I'm telling you. What does he do that you couldn't do? Come on, I look better than him. That's true. Yeah, you have all your hair. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, that's fascinating. My first internship in college was at the NBA Entertainment, where the and, and honest to God, six people. So Six is, people in the most rundown little office looking at film, and I was putting together little highlight reels oh, of guys. I would have loved all, it. You, you hear every time an NBA game is played, you see the copyright of the NBA. This is property of the NBA. That's it's property of NBA Entertainment. Interesting. What year are we talking? Eighty-eight or eighty-nine? No, this would have been the summer of nineteen eighty-six in Manhattan. Oh, eighty-six. It's the same summer. I had two jobs. I had an internship there and a job at the video store. Oh yeah, where Rodney I saw Ronnie Dangerfield. Yeah. Same summer, summer really of nineteen eighty-six. Video back then. You went to radio for That's some it. reason. That's it. So I'm just trying to figure out. Eighty-six. The NBA was big, but not enormous. It was. What I remember is it was a lot of the Detroit Pistons. The Pistons were big in those days because we used to have oodles of video. Of the Pistons. I don't okay. remember. Maybe 1986, you could go back and look. What I also remember is kind of hokey is my favorite player was always a guy who played with my brother. One of my brothers played high school oh. basketball. I've ever told you this Derek story. Derek Harper? That's right. Yeah, Derek yeah, Harper. Yeah. So, some, not Ron Harper. People confuse him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Derek Harper was the guard, guard for the Mavericks. Yep. He's a really good player. Then he played for the Knicks. He went to the yeah, NBA yeah. Finals. He's played on those Pat Riley. He's really a defensive minded, you know, Derek Harper sure. from the Dallas. And he played, he and my brother, the middle brother, played high school basketball together. He was the greatest thing. He was the nicest guy. And I was like, eight years old and my, I had started every time I see Derek Harper I loved him yeah, and he'd yeah. play around with me and then he went off to the NBA so he became my favorite player so when I got this internship at NBA Entertainment I decided I'm going to do a I'm going to learn how to do a highlight <laughs> film yeah. how to edit one I never knew how to edit film or anything like that put music to it all I need is a miracle by the Mike and the Mechanics. Oh, really? <laughs> Derek Harper video. And I sent it to him. Really? And he loved it. Wait, like on a VHS? Like on a big thing? Yeah. 
You sent it to him. I sent it to him. That's awesome. And I sent it to him, and it was like Mike in the McKay. He's probably thinking, what, "All I need is a miracle." Oh, you know that song? Of course. And I, I love Mike in the McKay. I, I, I know. I like that song, and it was all Harper highlights. He probably never saw. Uh, so I sent it to him, and then I went to Dallas, where my best friend was going to college at SMU, while I was at Syracuse to visit my. And we went to a Mavericks game, and we ran, and we went down to the court after, and I waved to Derek Harper. He hadn't seen me since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. He was like, "The video, the video," and, like, <laughs> and he came up. And he sat with me in the stands. He, no way. Me and my buddy Roger and Derek Harper. Having a highlight. All this, all this is, a, I, I don't even know why I'm telling you this story. All of it is based on <laughs> NBA entertainment and Adam Silver's entree to the league. But a 17-year-old wouldn't understand having a highlight film of yourself put to music in 1986 was a big ticket item. No one had that. I mean, you know, are you familiar with Huddle, that website Huddle? Yeah, yeah H-U-D-L, right? That's right, yeah. So you could do That's it. what the young high school guys put their own videos yeah. on, right? So everyone just football has, players, basketball players, right? If you play any sport, you have a highlight film. But in '86, that was not a thing. So having that must have been the most amazing thing ever for him. I would have loved it. I have three interviews. We're going to start with John Tesh. I don't want to oversell it, but if you don't like this interview, there's <laughs> something wrong with you. I'm telling you. I can't wait. I'm telling you. Yeah. I love somebody who understands his place mm-hmm. and is willing to take shots at himself. Yeah. I, I've always tried to be that guy, but I've never quite <laughs> One uh, day. perfected it. I've always wanted to be that guy. The guys who can genuinely do that just understand, hey, some people think that I'm corny and syrupy, and uh, yeah. he's just, I think you're going to love the interview. Because I think sometimes people go away from it they want to prove to you that they're they're, yeah. they're not that well person. they take they take offense to it yeah, yeah i mean like michael bolton's a good example he's definitely had fun with the fact of who he was he pops up in cameos that's the thing and- with the schnoz i try to just i try to <laughs> i don't run from the schnoz yeah that's true because every time i run from the schnoz the schnoz is out in front <laughs> i mean that shadow you're never getting away from that shadow good lord it's great when you don't have sunscreen for the kids they just get right underneath <laughs> jesus three three interviews and then the other stuff segment where would Mitch Unfiltered be without partners like Daniels Broiler? Not very far is the answer. And you don't need me to tell you that we must support local businesses and families like the Schwartz family during these times. It's vital. The same family that owns and operates Daniels also has Schwartz Brothers Bakery and Brenner Brothers Bakery, known since 1903 for their traditional bagels and rye bread. Founded in 1973 to make pies and other desserts for their restaurants, Schwartz Brothers Bakery now offers a delicious selection of fresh breads, bagels, dinner rolls, hamburger hot dog buns, as well as pastries like cinnamon rolls and coffee cake and Danish, and so much more at QFC, Fred Meyer, Safeway, Albertsons, Metropolitan Market, PCC, and other local supermarkets. For a limited time, you can also find Schwartz Brothers Bakery, Frosted Shortbread Cookies, and Lemon Bars at select Costco warehouses. Schwartz Brothers and Brenner Brothers, proud to continue to provide the community with bread and essential baked goods during these challenging times. It allows them to keep many of their team members employed and look forward to the day when Daniel's broiler locations can reopen and those valuable team members can come back to work. Daniel's broiler, Schwartz Brothers Bakery and Brenner Brothers Bakery, staples of the Northwest community forever. Unfiltered. Lois, 
Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! LeBron James at the buzzer! Episode 88 continues, and our next guest simply can do just about anything. Musician, songwriter, radio host, TV personality, Emmy Award winner, lots of records sold, not to mention the author of a new book called Relentless, Unleashing a Life of Purpose, Grit, and Faith. Here he is, John Tesh. John, thanks for being with us. I hope your family is safe and sound during the midst of all this. We are all really good. Thank you. Tell everybody about the Facebook marathon you did on Friday. How'd that go? Yeah, it was uh, <laughs> it was a Facebookathon, right? <laughs> um, it was great. I mean, we're we're we were uh, we thought, ah, we'll, we'll, we'll raise ten thousand dollars and put uh, you know iPads and power bars and stuff in these boxes and send them to nurses and doctors, and so it's now like thirty five thousand dollars and counting, and and so. Uh, we have some work ahead of us to pack up all these boxes. The, the, the biggest, it, it's going great. The biggest thing is these iPads, which was really a surprise to me. What they're using those for is, um, is to help the nurses are helping the patients communicate with their families, of course. And in many cases, it's an end-of-life conversation. So uh, we didn't anticipate that being part of this. But when the hospitals told us, hey, this is what we need. Then, uh, then that's that was the direction we pointed ourselves. John, you're you're from New York, and I guess you live in Los Angeles. So, two hard hit areas. How's everybody doing? You know, I think that it's it's it's. I'm originally from Long Island, and I spent many years in New York City doing the news and sports and stuff. And so, uh, I, I understand why it's so rough in New York because everybody's on top of each other, right? In Los Angeles. We never really see anybody. <laughs> Everybody's in their cars, so it's it's not as bad, obviously. But um, we, it's no different for for me and my family because we we actually do work out of our house. The traffic is so bad in Los Angeles that we decided about ten years ago to put our studios, TV, and radio, and we built it on the side of our house. And so it's uh, it's it, we're used to twenty four seven time together. John, so many in our audience were sad not to fill out an NCAA basketball bracket since we do sports. And we decided to run a similar pool with 64 of the greatest TV show themes duking it out. And one of the odds makers' favorites has to be, has to be, Round Ball Rock, the NBA on NBC. I know you've, you've shared the story a million times, so let's make it a million and one about the answer machine and the idea and how that all came to be. Share with our audience, if you don't mind. Yeah, and the, the, I'll give you the short, the short version, the, the the long version, and it's a long, like, 3,000-word version is in this book I just released called uh, Relentless because it's it's usually the – I mean, my my live concerts are women uh, who have dragged their boyfriends or their husbands to a John Tesh concert. So <laughs> it's they're, they're looking for relationship currency, so they're looking – you know, it's, it's a romantic concert, and you know, and stories and things like that, and then – you can always tell there's like three or four guys in, the, in this 10th or 15th row with their arms folded, right? And they're just like, <laughs> when is this going to be over? And then when we land on the NBA basketball team and it's all synced up with video and everything, you just see them, you know, leaning over to them. I know this one. I'm just, I know this one. The, the, um, the, the wild thing is that it has taken on a life of its own, I mean, over the years. And if you go to YouTube and you search Round Ball Rock, which is the name of it, right, you, you, you can see hundreds of videos 
of not only people playing it on Casios but, uh, and, and on, on ukuleles, but people teaching how to play it. Uh, on Jimmy Fallon had a guy playing it, on a, uh, playing it through his nose on a melodica. Um, <laughs> there are, you know, I know, it's like, you know, Triumph the Insult Dog. Yeah. Insult Dog is made up, uh, Conan O'Brien's guy, has made up you know, lyrics to it. So, it, you know, even though it hasn't aired on the NBA for years, still recognizable i think it's because i mean you you're better at this than i am but i think it's because of the heyday of the nba you know back in 1990 um the song was written on my answering machine it's a true story i i was in europe uh working on the tour de france uh, with david michaels al michaels uh, brother who's mm-hmm. just a tremendous documentarian and i had been working with him on the tour for years and doing all the music for him and i found out because you know you're in the pipeline when you're working for sports i found out that nbc had just purchased the uh the rights to basketball and so they wanted, they were looking for a new theme. And before they could actually put it out there and ask John Williams and, you know, and the, the, the real composers uh, to, you know, to do something, I said, I got to get this. I have to do this. I have to get recognized as a composer. And so in the middle of the night uh, in Majeve, France, where the Tour de France was, I got this idea in my head. And uh, I didn't have a tape recorder. I didn't have a keyboard. So I just called my answering machine and left a message for myself with the theme I had in my head. And it's really funny because when to tell a story on stage, you actually have to put a picture of an answering machine behind you because half the audience has no idea what I'm talking <laughs> about. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's right. And so you come home, okay, you come home and you get the message from yourself, and uh, how do you take it from there? Well, I left two messages for myself because my machine cut me off. So I called in. I'm calling in from France, right? So it's like, you know, it's like 50, it's like 52 digits, you know, and then it's like, a, you know, and, and then my voice picks up. Hey, this is John. There's nobody home right now. So I go, hey, John, this is John. Here's some message. Here, here's the end. It's two o'clock in the morning because I realize if I go back to sleep, I'm not, uh, I'm not going to be able you know, you have a good, an idea in the middle of the night. You got to write it down or something. So I I sing the the, the thing I had in my head uh, into my into my into the phone in France into my answering machine it was and I still have the answering machine message yeah, you do and so you know you know it cuts me off it's like call back and here's the rest of it you know, and the wild thing is you know I got home uh, two weeks later from France and I was so unpopular that I only had two messages on my machine and uh, I put the machine on my piano. And I figured it out. I had actually sung it in in, uh, in A minor, you know. And so I just think, oh, I'll just play it in that. So I figured it out. And then I put in the, you know, knowing something about sports, not, not about sports. I don't know anything about sports. But knowing something about sports television, I knew that it needed a um, – uh, it needed like a section, right, where, they were, where Marv could talk over it. And it would be, you know, brought to you by, you know, yeah. da, 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 da. so I, I, I created all the sections and I, I, and I went into an edit, edit bay and I, I got footage of the San Antonio Spurs versus the Lakers. And I, uh, with, on a VHS tape, I edited to that. And then the ed- I go, there's something wrong with it. And the editor goes, I think it's, I think it's too slow. And so I, I figured out with a metronome how fast uh, Magic Johnson was was fast breaking with his uh, what the basketball rate was right, yeah. and it ended up being 131 beats a minute on average, and that's about it's about 10 beats a minute faster than the than a Donna Summer song, so I I cranked it up from about 118 where it was to 131, and it just clicked. And so when I turned it in to the guys at NBC, I didn't send them a piece of audio. I sent them a tape uh, with it all, a videotape with it all, so they could so so they could imagine it. They didn't have to imagine it; they could see it. They weren't expecting this, right? You weren't commissioned at all to do this. They just got from John Tesh his idea. And did they love it right away, John? 
apparently, yeah, I mean, I got the call in, in, you know, in a couple of days, you know, and I tell the story on the stage when we're doing it in concert that, uh, you know, Eversol called and just said, uh, hey, this works. You know, it was like, no, do, do da, do da, you know, hey, but, you know, just another another five minutes of, of working for NBC. But it was, um, the, you know, the, the, the crazy thing about it is that I, I, it's pretty much my whole career is that, no, I was not commissioned to do that. I was not commissioned to write the music for the Tour de France. But David Michael says, hey, bring your synthesizers to France and we'll be in a truck and we'll, and we'll edit this thing. And, and the network basically just turned over, you know, they, they turned over the sports network for two hours every weekend for us to do the tour. And so it was all scored and everything. And, and I, I think that the reason was there was no expectation. And that was the thing about, about me sending it you know, directly to those guys was, it was, it was like, well, I don't think we can beat this. And, and so it had that combination of, of me, it was a catchy theme. Okay. And, and but it, but it also had a combination of that and, and being already being married to the pictures that I think really turned the tide. It sounds like you're very proud of it, and you ought to be because we all love it. Everybody loves it, and it's been very good. You always joke about this on stage. It's been very good to the John Tesh family, right? Round Ball Rock has been very good to your yeah, family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> that, yeah, that's that's the line. You know, it's, it's like you know, the line I use is like, well, then and then Dick Eversall called me back and said, "Hey, John, we love your theme. Let us play it for 20 years and put two of your kids through college." <laughs> <laughs> How about the Saturday Night Live? What, 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 yeah, go ahead. Is that I, don't, I, I feel like I don't, I mean, I do own the song, but I feel like I don't own it anymore, you know, spiritually, because when when Fox, you know, came to me and said, hey, we'd like to play this for college basketball. And I said, sure, it's not on anywhere. And so we made a deal and we and we and we got it on, on Fox. And I, I got all this hate mail from people like, well, how how dare you? And I'm yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. screw you. I mean, I'm not <laughs> just trying to make a living here. How about the Saturday Night Live skit with Vince Vaughn? You know, it's um, and, and and watch it again because you'll realize that Vince Vaughn has no idea who I am. The <laughs> uh, the um, and we we play that every night in 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 concert. First of all, Sudeikis and the other guy they are dressed exactly like I was on Avalon. <laughs> at, you know, the the, uh, the, 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 the I mean, it's just the exact same hairdo. Everything. Yeah. But when when um, Vince Vaughn speaks my name, he's reading it off a cue card. He goes, he goes, oh, you guys know Tess. <laughs> he, he wrote the Entertainment Tonight thing. You know, it's like you know, who who is? It? I'm just going to read the cue card. He's like Chris Walker. I just walk in there and read it. But it was. It is one of the funnier things that, uh, and what an honor. You know, I had all these people calling me saying, "Hey, Saturday Night Live is making fun of you." I'm like. Oh, awesome. Where is it? Can I see it? <laughs> John, before you go, and I know we wanted to talk about the NBA on NBC, I have to ask you a couple of questions about the new memoir, and I wish you all the very best because there are some very, I've not read it yet, but there are some very powerful parts of your new memoir that's out. It's called Relentless Unleashing a Life of Purpose, Grit, and Faith, and you can get it wherever books are sold, and we all have time to read books right now. Let's start with your very private battle with prostate cancer and the subsequent fights with the disease the suicidal thoughts tell us a little bit about that before we pick up your book you know the book isn't uh you know a, a big treatise on on a cancer battle it's 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 a big part of it but it's titrated throughout the throughout the story of uh whether it's the creation of round ball rock or red rocks or being homeless in a tent at 19 and a half years old it's, it's a, there's a bunch of stories sort of against all odd stories but yeah, it was in 2015, they gave me, uh, you know, they said, well, you can probably count on two years to live. It was a very rare form of prostate cancer that didn't make any blood markers, so it didn't show up in my PSA. They found it by accident. And so for three years, it was a tremendous amount of suffering that my wife, Connie, Connie Salico, went through 
with me where it was uh, uh, two surgeries, bone biopsies, uh, chemo, you know, and it was just, I was done. I became a cancer patient. I was just like, well, I'm 63. Uh, I've done some stuff. <laughs> the basketball team will take care of my family. I don't know, whatever. I, I, you know, I just, I started drinking heavily. I was taking Vicodin because you can get anything when you're a cancer patient. Right. And I gave up and, 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 and my wife and I, uh, cancer kept coming back and we, we ended up after all the treatments were, were done and, and the doctors did a great job. We ended up landing on a scripture in the Bible, actually, that a friend of ours uh, opened, opened our eyes to. It was Mark eleven twenty three, which is actually a great scripture for right now. And it says this, it says, whoever says to this mountain, meaning a mountain of whatever, a mountain of sickness, mountain of pain, mountain of depression, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will be done shall have whatever he says. Therefore, whatever you ask when you pray, believe that you receive it and you will have it. And we so much believed in this as the pathway to my healing. We all got, we got a tattoo. My whole family got a tattoo on their bodies. And, wow. and um, at the moment we got that revelation, that was when I started to get, uh, I started to get healed. And that was two years ago and I have no cancer in, wow. in, in my body. So the, the, a lot of what's in this book, and I really appreciate letting me talk about it is you'll have what you say. Proverbs eighteen twenty one: death and life are in the power of the tongue. And especially now when, when everybody's hunkered down and, and worried and fear comes in, you got to be careful what comes out of your mouth. And so that's a lot of what the book is about. You just mentioned the homelessness in a tent. I assume that's as a result of the the incident at North Carolina State. And there's an also there's an also part of this book about following your dream. You always wanted to be a musician. You always wanted to be in music. And I, I think the North Carolina State is that right? The North Carolina State story would be interesting to people. Yeah, I mean, I was a I was a two sport walk on varsity athlete at NC State. I, I played lacrosse and soccer there because I mean I I mean people who know me know I'm 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 a very average person but I will beat you to death with persistence right but <laughs> do you want me to or not and so yeah I was I, I mean I was I was in the wrong major what happened was my dad was with the vice president of Haynes underwear and he decided that he wanted to send me to textile chemistry so I did that for I don't know like four or five semesters and I was having a, I, you know it was I was terrible I had like a one eight you know GPA and uh, and then I took a radio television course and I got bit by the same bug you got bit by and I wanted to change my major yeah. my statistics professor said I was passed to drop bad data he wouldn't sign the card. So on advice from a fraternity brother, and I may have had a beer, um, <laughs> I, 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 I did what he said he did all the time, and that was to sign my professor's name to the drop ad card. Uh. Uh, I did. I got caught. I got busted for forgery. I was kicked out. Of, I was suspended indefinitely. I broke the honor code. A letter came to my dad. My dad was a World War II uh, hero, uh, honorable man. He said, "You're no longer welcome in my house. You have shamed our family. You've shamed my. You've shamed the entire underwear division of Haynes." He said that, <laughs> and uh, I left, and I was homeless for six months, living in Raleigh, pumping gas and working construction. And three years later. I was anchoring the news as the youngest correspondent at CBS News wow. in New York City. So uh, I'll let the book tell the rest of the story, but I'm pretty good at shooting myself in the foot and then trying to recover. <laughs> now, people, I think people in our audience, I guess most audiences, would know you best as Mary Hart's partner on Entertainment Tonight. I don't even know how many years you did that, but clearly from reading passages of the book and listening to you, that was never what you really wanted to do. What you really wanted to do was get on stage and, and be a musician and, and have an orchestra and do a show. How did you transition 
from the success that you were having on on national television, syndicated national television, to this this uh, this leader of orchestra and musician and 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 all the stage shows after that? How'd that work out? Yeah, I mean, what happened was I, I was working at sports, and and they had found a, a CBS sport. And and by, and by the way, I am not a sportscaster. I'm not uh, I'm not Al Michaels. I'm not Brent Musburger. Two of my favorite guys, you know. And but I'm a documentarian, right? So that's why they sent me on. Well, I mean, I did I did gym. I did figure skating, and that's why I ended up uh, as an announcer on the Olympics and uh, for those events. And when I was doing all those, I, I was always writing music. I was always writing themes for the NFL, for even for tennis and golf and everything. You know, you can imagine what a golf theme sounds like, you know. Uh, smooth jazz. And so um, when, when, when the guys at Entertainment Tonight had found – I was still doing the Tour de France, and when they had found an old tape of me as, uh, anchoring the news in, in, in Nashville with Pat Sajak as the weatherman and Oprah as a reporter <laughs> – they said, hey, we'd like for you to audition for Entertainment Time. I didn't even know what it was. And they said, uh, we're looking for a newsier approach to the show. And they knew my background. So they were like, you only have to work four hours a day and you can have use of our recording studios on the Paramount television lot. So I was like, okay. So that's why I took the job. I mean, E.T. was incredibly nice to me, but that's why I took the job. And then I thought, now I'm going to get a record deal. So I started sending out, you know, 23 million people a night back in the day, 1986, we're seeing E.T. Right. And so I thought, I'll just send my, you know, I'll, I'll send it to Clive Davis, you know, Arista Records, Columbia Records, a and Records, and I got turned down from all of them because I'm pretty sure they just didn't want the guy who was reading the celebrity birthdays on the same <laughs> label as Billy Joel, you know? <laughs> and so, anyway, uh, I was watching TV, and I saw Yanni at the Acropolis, and then I saw the three tenors, you know, in Italy somewhere, yeah. and then I saw uh, the Moody Blues at Red Rocks. I looked at that, and I said, that's it. We're going to do a big, giant show at Red Rocks, and, and uh, millions of people are going to buy my records, you know? <laughs> and so we pitched it to PBS, and they said, what are you going to do? Read the celebrity birthdays for an orchestra? I'm like, ah, shut up. So anyway, <laughs> uh, they weren't going to fund it. I went to my wife, Connie, and, and we'd saved some TV money, right? Yeah. And I said, uh, this is what it's going to cost. Are we in? And she goes, yeah, we're in. We took a second mortgage on our house. Wow. And we created Live at Red Rocks with the Colorado Symphony Orchestra, gave away 7,000 tickets. And after four songs, it rained, rained us out. I mean, the orchestra ran for their lives. Uh -oh. We continued to play with rain pouring out of the piano, pouring off the stage. The audience wouldn't leave. Finally, the moon came out, rain stopped, and, and a mist came along the, along the stage. Right? I mean, you'd, play, you'd pay five grand for this mist. It was a beautiful mist. <laughs> and we continued to play. And, and PBS tested it, and it blew up. And we went from selling 50 records a month to 50,000. Wow. And so that's really how my music career began. And, the rest, and as they say, the rest of the story is history. But it sounds to me like the aforementioned Yanni beat you out for the golf theme music, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yes, I knew that. Well, listen, Yanni, Yanni's, Yanni's actually a friend, you know. And, and by the way, that's not his accent. He only uses that accent when there's girls around. He really doesn't have an accent. Uh, you know? uh, the name of the book is John Tesh, Relentless, Unleashing a Life of Purpose, Grit, and Faith. Really, really nice to catch up with you. Thank you so much for sharing the story, not only of the NBA on NBC, but all the other stories. Very, very powerful stuff. I wish you and Connie all the best. I wish you continued health and, and great success with the book. Thanks so very much for stopping by. That's awesome. Thank you. This has been great therapy for me. I love your, I love your energy. I appreciate it. John Tesh, responsible for the NBA on NBC theme. What a funny, self-deprecating and enjoyable guy. Good stuff on episode 88. On the phone with Jordan Flowers of the Kirkland office, the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. I know it's a strange and scary time, Jordan. You guys are open, right? You're an essential business? 
Mitch, that is correct. We are an essential business, being the financial sector, housing sector, and we are all still fully operational. My entire uh, staff and team, whether we're working from home or uh, socially distancing ourselves and locking ourselves in the offices, we're all still working and serving our clients here. Opportunities for our our listeners that want to look at either purchase or refinance. I know it's uh, the last thing on a lot of people's minds right now, but for those that are thinking about it, what can they find at the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage? Opportunities are still great, both for refinancing and buying. The Fed is committed to keeping rates low throughout uh, this pandemic, as well as long after to ensure a full, robust recovery. Definitely opportunities right now on home buying uh, as far as a decent amount of inventory hitting the market and potentially getting good deals there. For anybody that currently does not own and has been thinking about it, we're happy to run uh, rent versus own calculators for you and see kind of what your tax liabilities are and also the financial benefits of owning a home, whether primary or investment property. If we're in the market or we're in the market for a refi, we should look at our numbers on our outstanding loan, our current loan. What should we be looking for? What numbers are available to us through you guys? Absolutely. I'd say anybody right now that's considering refinancing, we're taking care of uh, clients removing their mortgage insurance. We are helping people with cash out refinances to consolidate debt or do home improvements. Really anything in the high threes to low fours and above certainly would would be of interest in taking a look at what refinance numbers look like for them right now. Jordan, what about all the people out there that are having trouble making their payments during this insanity? So with that stimulus package, the CARES Act, they are allowing customers to apply for forbearance if they qualify up to six months and then extend to 12. What they need to know, there's there's information on the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau website, the CFPB website, as well as um, they need to be reaching out to their servicers to figure out what they are eligible for if they need to. If they can make their mortgage payments, they need to keep doing that. Uh, but as a last case, solution for anybody that's hit by these times. Um, There are options for them, but they need to understand what those options are. They're not getting their debt wiped out or forgiven. It's simply moving the payments, and they need to understand that. 425-250-3150. That's 425-250-3150. Jordan Flowers' team, the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Unfiltered. I knew this was something I always felt passionately about, and I love Baltimore, I love this city, I love the people here, and I I would never want to do a national show. This is exactly what I want to do is a show here. I think in my own way, I was always kind of preparing and and sort of squirreling things away. Well, I guess in some ways, this will be the biggest sports week since we shut everything down. The NFL Draft on Thursday, continuing episode 88, with CBS NFL insider, Baltimore radio star, and most importantly... (laughs) My friend, Jason Lockenfora, are you into the whole draft thing? You love it like everyone else. Do you do a mock? I haven't seen a mock from Jason Lockenfora. I don't. I don't do mine until the day of, but it's usually not too shabby. <laughs> People who analyze this stuff say it's. I mean, I've just seen studies. People on the internet who like are Come really on. into this stuff, and I'm not. Come on. Are like, dude, but by my algorithm, you have the 
you know, no one's been better than your mocks the last like five or six years. There's no. people who are really into it. What's I'm not. A, come on. I swear. No. I swear. None of these. No, it's true. None of these mocks are true. None of these mocks are correct. How many? How yeah, many guys are you? There's ways gonna... that people. There's ways that trust me. The teams pay attention to it. There's oh. ways that if you you, you get a like like uh, grading scales for like okay you get a you get a pick completely right, you know, or you had the team with the player, but they made a trade and got him anyway, or you had somebody at that position group, you know what I mean? But the uh, guy who you had there was already taken, so they took someone else. Like, there's people who get way down on the weeds in this stuff. Really? Which I don't, but I'm just telling you, if you, like, <laughs> Google it or whatever, there's there's people who do studies of this stuff who say that my mock drafts are the bell of the ball. So, <laughs> so, Aren't you glad you had me on? <laughs> so when do we get to read the bell of the ball? On the day of the draft? The day of... Okay. The day of the draft. Okay. I do one. Okay. I don't do fifty-five. I'm not Pete Prisco. I don't do fifty-five <laughs> of them year-round. Oh, they, they don't. They don't. They don't get to uh, strong-arm me into that. Uh, you're like funny. I'll give you one mock draft. It'll be up by noon Eastern okay. on the day of the draft, and that's it. Okay. I guess the first question is: more and more so-called experts are pegging the Dolphins for Herbert over Tua. Are they faking everybody out so that they don't have to trade up to get Tua? What are my fins going to do at five? I don't think they're in on I, – I'm not buying the Herbert stuff with them. Now, maybe they don't take a quarterback at all. I, I don't know. Maybe they sit it out early and do something late. I think the Tua stuff's been blown out of proportion in general overall. Um, the idea that he's going to be available on the teams and some of the stuff that's floating around I think is crazy. And, and if you told me that they're taking a quarterback there, I would say it's Tua. But, you know, the more people I've talked to this weekend, maybe they don't take a quarterback there. I don't know. Are you outside? Yeah. Can you go inside? I'm hearing wind, and it's not your, your words. I'm hearing lots of wind. Go inside. Would you please? Okay, you hear those birds <laughs> chirping? I like. I, I was out here messing with the grill. Uh, you like like NPR? You don't like my ambient sound? <laughs> what are you making? There's like a, a really good restaurant he, around here that since they they're not really no one's going there to eat. They're like you can go there and get like the pro like the stuff they would use. You know what oh, I mean? Like yeah. like the grade of meat and, yeah. and fish that they would be making if they were making it. So Lauren had a, got a bunch of that stuff. So I, I don't know. I'll probably make a lot of them on the grill today, and then it'll go, last over a couple of days. But so I, give me I a believe sense. there's steak, tuna, and salmon involved. Wow. You're a, you're a fish griller, huh? That's not easy to do, by the way. Uh, yeah, I'm all right. I, I can hold my own. Just, I'm <laughs> it, not as good at that as I am at mock drafting, but I'm pretty good. <laughs> Is there ever a time in the sports year where there's more lying that goes on? Oh, yeah, there's a lot of lying that comes uh, along with this. Yeah, it's an exercise in futility to some degree. And, you, you know, the whole idea of who do you trust and when do you trust them. And even people who normally, I think, you know, shoot you straight. There's so many agendas going on that you have to have your guard up a little bit. But uh, I don't mind. I mean, there's something, at least there's something going on here. I mean, what, it, what, what nobody's talking about is, okay, then you got the week where everybody grades, mom, you know, grades the draft and, Everybody weighs in on it. And then we've got the great chasm of 2020, and I don't know when it, you know, I don't know when it's filled, and I don't know what's on the other side of it. But some of the stuff I hear, I just don't know that it's realistic. I mean, football's not baseball, you know. You don't have everybody who has all of their facilities in one state or another state. You can't bus for football games. You can't 
play a football game and have guys sitting in the stands six feet apart like they're talking about for baseball and not in the dugout. I mean, how's that going to work for substitutions? This, you've seen the sidelines of a football game. It's like 100 people on each sideline. I know you can cut curtail some of that, but, I mean, it's people rubbing up on each other for three hours. How many people are in the bubble? Okay, the team's going to live at a hotel. So does that include the GM and the, all the coaching staff and all the medical staff? And then if they're stuck in a hotel, well, who's cooking the meals? Who's doing the laundry? Who's cleaning those rooms? Are those going to be team employees that come along with it? Or are you going to have to convince you know, Marriott employees that, hey, you'll be fine in this bubble even though the hotel's shut down? Come, you know, come, for, come leave your family for four months, stay at this hotel because this football team wants to stay here. I mean, if you're in Cincinnati and you stay in Kentucky, the team stays in a hotel in Kentucky and there's one set of rooms in that – I mean, one set of rules in that state and a completely another set of rules in Ohio because we have no federal guidelines right now, how's that going to work? You know, if some states you can't gather more than 50 people, you're going to practice offense on Monday and Tuesday and defense on Wednesday and Thursday? Like, I, I, I don't know, man. There's 250,000 people in New York City dealing with this. I, I just think, you know, this has been a great distraction and it's been fun. But when this ends, I think some real questions are going to be asked. And, and I don't know how you, you're going to have teams move to a certain city. You're going to play what? You know, you're going to use certain stadiums and play four games a day there on Saturday and four games a day there on Sunday. Well, what are those fields going to look like after that? I, I just – this ain't baseball. And I am – I do not doubt for one minute the owner's resolve and – resolution to playing a full season and the TV money playing with nobody there playing under any circumstances. I get all that, but I think there will be major logistical hurdles to overcome before they can start playing these games. And it's just, it's different than a lot of other sports. And you start talking about the number of people. I mean, think about how many people it takes just to put it on TV. I don't know, man. Well, we don't know what's going to happen with games. So let's, let's talk about what we do know. That's going to happen. And the draft is going to happen this yeah. week. So let me ask you a few questions. Fire a few questions at you. I like your over-under sure. column. I liked your over-under column you. on each position in, in the please. first round. You said four and a half on quarterbacks. We know that's Burrow, Tua, Love, Herbert. Is Eason from University of Washington the fifth guy? There is a fifth, and I am by no means convinced there is. But I, I do believe he would be the fifth. You know, we've seen this phenomenon, teams trading into the back end of the of the first round to get a guy because, especially if you don't think he's going to play right away, you'd like to have that fifth year, right? You'd like to be able to have that at your disposal so you're not having to make a decision after three considering he's not going to play in one and maybe he doesn't start playing until midway through two. So I think he's in the conversation. I mean, did things play out for him the way everybody would have wanted it to? No, but he was. Well, you know, he must go back that far, 2015, and he's the most coveted high school quarterback prospect in the country. And he did start games as a true freshman at Georgia, and he is 6'6", and he does have some, you know, metrics and things going for him. You know, somebody traded up in the top, you know, in the first round for, for Paxton Lynch. That didn't work out so well. The Ravens did it for Lamar Jackson. It worked out swimmingly. So it's a possibility. I think it's one you have to account for as a contingency, but I don't think it's likely. Who's the uh, long-term successor to Tom Brady in Foxborough? I mean, they like Stidham. He'll get it. He'll get a shot to compete with Hoyer and and to compete with, you know, whoever they get out of this draft. And maybe that's Jordan Love at twenty-three. Maybe that's 
uh, you know, Jalen Hurts in, in the second round? Or And I know they're missed there's some rounds they don't have picks, but I would not be surprised at all if they grabbed the quarterback in the higher rounds of this draft. Hmm. I know that Burrow's going to be one, and I think we know that Chase Young's going to be two. What are the Lions going to do at three? They really would like to trade out. I hear that the GM, because he traded – their best corner for a three and a five really would like to take a corner there. I hear the head coach while he understands that is very intrigued by Isaiah Simmons and thinks that Derek Brown could be an impact plug and play D tackle. And that's always a a position of great import. So what do you do to settle the sort of uh, impasse? Well, we'll trade down and see who's still there. One of those blue chippers will still be there. If we trade down two, three, four, five, that, that means somebody's trading up though. And I'm not sure Unless it's for a quarterback, it's for anybody, and I don't think it's for a quarterback. So they may stay there, and if they do, I, I, my hunch is they take Akuda because, they, they again, somebody's got to replace Darius Slay, and I don't think you make that trade unless you expect to address that in the draft and not just anywhere in the draft, but probably relatively significantly in the draft. What's more likely to happen? John Schneider picks at 27 or Mateo eats some of Daddy's fish that he grills. If he doesn't know what it is, if you just tell him it's meat of some sort, he'll probably just go ahead and eat it or just grab it off my plate. More likely, I think they'll want to trade out. I, I just don't know who's moving up. Maybe there's a team that's looking at one last offensive tackle before it falls off a cliff. Maybe there's a team looking at one last pass rusher before it falls off a cliff, although I would think Seattle would be among those teams in an instance like that. Um, maybe he just sees so much day two value that the, the, the real want and desire is to trade down. But if you're not trading up for Easton, if, I don't think people are trading up for any of these receivers. I think the real run on them will start day two. I'm just not sure that, you know, it takes two to tango, and it, it, just, it just might not make sense. I thought that there was going to be a run on receivers – in the middle of the first round, right? Two or three or there, four there'll receivers. There'll be a run from, yeah, from 11 to 15. Who, who but are then the, after that. Who are the best ones? Um, I mean, most people would say C.D. Lamb or the Jerry Judy kid. I think that, you know, they're kind of seen as 1A and 1B, depending on how you lean. And then you've got Ruggs and you got the kid Jefferson from LSU. Then after that, it's it's what do you need? You need a small, super fast slot guy who can also return. Do you need an outside guy who's quick but not a burner but has a massive catch radius? Do you looking for huge hands? Are you looking for vert? Are you looking for just straight line speed? They've got it. You covered all different ways. Slot guy, guy who can play X and Z. I mean, it's anything you could want and more. And I think the smart teams and a lot of the better teams in the league could use a wide receiver. Just going to say, I, 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 we, we trust ourselves. We, we'll be able to find a, a similar guy half a round down, but we're not going to be able to find that pass rush projectability, that potential tackle, that plug-and-play day one inside linebacker back where those wide receivers right. are still going to be clustered. It sounds to me like listening to you and reading your pieces on CBSSports.com, it sounds to me like you think there's going to be a really good – tackle available at 27 if John wants to pick I mean really good it's I mean it's going to be someone in the second tier Uh, but okay yeah I mean I think you know we're talking more Austin Jackson we're talking Ezra Cleveland from Boise State we're talking the kid Jones from Houston I I don't know if I mean I those guys there's a lot more projection involved not saying that one or all of them might not work out 
but I don't. It's not Becton. It's not Worfs. It's not Wills. You know, those guys are long gone. You still think Jadeveon Clowney's coming back? <laughs> Where is he going? What's he got? What's he got that's better than this? And I got news for him. It ain't going to be better in most places after the draft. But it, but with Seattle, maybe they don't do a whole lot there because they feel like, hey, he's going to have his best shot to come here and do his thing and set him up for his next contract and set us up for a comp pick or whatever. I mean, how many owners do you think are spending money in this climate now? It's not happening. What's he going to get? I don't know. I don't think anybody knows. One year, 16? I, I, I don't know. I mean, Whoa. I told you all along I thought this was going to be a murky situation. This guy, I didn't see him as a $20, $22 million player. It only takes one team to do it. But I wasn't hearing that sort of evaluation from team side. And he's got less options now than he's ever had. And come Sunday, it's going to be even fewer. So I don't know, man. I mean, you can wait for somebody to get hurt. There's no OTAs. There's no mini camps. I mean, somebody could slip in their backyard. But – I know how these owners think, and trying to get convince one of these guys to go get his pocket for another $15 million and, and he doesn't know if he's going to have a normal training camp, and he doesn't know when his games are going to start, and he doesn't know if there's going to be any fans in the stands this year. Not many people are doing it. And the ones who would do it, Jerry Jones, some of these other guys, I think Jerry Jones is going to take that kid from LSU and say between him and Alden Smith and uh-huh. Randy Gregory, we keep our hands, fingers crossed there, somebody – Somebody will give us what we need. You know, I, I just, you know, Tennessee, I don't see them spending $16 million on him or 15 Even if they come out of the draft and it's still, oh, gosh, Vic Beasley and Landry are two options that come off off the edge. I mean, maybe they try to bring Cam Wake back on the, on the super cheap. I don't see it right now, but who knows? I don't know why a good football team wouldn't sign this guy for one year, $16 million. I mean, he's, too, he's, what, what he's happens, too good of a football player. I mean, he's right still now, a very disruptive pandemic, Like, that's not – I don't think that's where these guys' heads are right now. These owners, I don't think they're looking – it's a million dollars a week. The big-ticket items are gone. And even in a normal climate, now is a little late in the game for a salary of that magnitude. Dude, it, the, it took a team subsidizing half his salary last year to, to make that trade happen. So I don't get it. You know what I mean? I, I don't, don't know. get it. They spent a lot of money. Owners spent a lot of money at the beginning of free agency. So I don't understand one year, $16 million for a proven, really, really good defensive football player. I don't get it. I don't get it. I, 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 I yeah, will be. I mean, I, let's put it this way. That's probably where he should be. And I think it will happen. But I don't know that anything's imminent. Well, I'll put it this way. As a Seahawks fan, if you can call me that, if he signs a one-year, eighteen or seventeen million dollar deal somewhere other than Seattle, man, that's a real miss. That's a real miss for the Seahawks to let him walk away I, I, for one year, I, eighteen million dollars. I'm just telling you where he's going. Where is he going? I, I don't. If I'm okay. them, I think I think they're playing this thing perfectly. Fine. Okay. Okay. I wouldn't get worked up. They, okay. They've proven to this point, uh, who are they bidding against? I don't know if they're bidding. It seems to be at this point they're bidding against themselves. Okay. Like, do the Jets come out of this without any semblance of pass rusher? And, and then the, the, the owner just says, yeah, I don't care if we're in the middle of a pandemic and, you know, whatever. Just go get that guy. I mean, maybe. I, maybe, I guess. And I guess the Giants could do that. But I don't know, man. Okay. Go do your salmon and, uh, and tuna and give everybody a hug Thanks, for me. Thanks, buddy. Enjoy your weekend. Hope everybody out there is as safe as possible. Yeah. And uh, try to stay in, in good spirits if we can, right? Stay safe. Thank you, Jason. You too, buddy. Thanks, man. Jason Lockenfora sticking to his guns.
He says Jadeveon Clowney will be back in Seattle and a lot of notes about the upcoming NFL draft are all excited about that. Evergreen Golf Call, our buddies, obviously watching the markets very carefully as we inch closer to reopening the economy. The Evergreen Private Wealth Management Division been managing families' money for decades with the goal of comfortable retirements for people all over the world. I've had experiences with other firms that really only want to know, do you meet their minimum? Tyler Hayes' team is different in that respect. Their client compatibility survey at evergreengolfcall.com is one of several ways that Evergreen listens and understands your unique situation before even the first conversation with you. Everyone's risk tolerance, time horizon, investment preferences different. Evergreen's wealth consultant gets that information ahead of time so that he or she can tailor make an approach and strategy that's perfect for you and your family's needs. There are even times that Evergreen reaches out to prospective clients to let them know that their investment philosophies just don't align, and that's okay. Evergreengolfcall.com. It's a perfect place to start. Just click on its client compatibility survey and answer a few questions. No commitment, just a starting point. Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest and beyond. Unfiltered. Rogers throws, passes, caught Jimmy Graham. First down. After review of the play, the ruling of the field stands as called. We start off this offseason today uh, really with, with the thought of uh, going back to work in, individually as they prepare for April April and uh, 19th or 20th, whatever it is. And uh, we come back with a new resolve and uh, stepping forward, knowing where, we, where we've come from and knowing what we have and building on the nucleus of this group that we that we put together here. Clowney, come back. Don't leave me. Don't leave, Clowney. Don't leave us. I need you, bro. Anyways, man, Clowney, my homie. I love playing with you, bro. Hopefully we get to do some more, man. That's what the fans want. Nearly 25 years ago on the radio, we brought guys like Larry Stone and Claire Farnsworth and Bill Williamson and others into the studio, and we called it the Seahawks Roundtable, which I believe continues to this day, even if the names have all changed. So what do we call it when Brady Henderson, ESPN Seahawks insider, and Joe Fan? Seahawks insider for NBC Sports Northwest, both join us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline at the same time to get knee-deep pre-draft. Well, I think it's obvious. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, here we go. It's the Seahawks no table. Brady is a veteran of Mitch Unfiltered. Joe, you're wet behind the ears. But what do you do to shake out the nerves before we start? Well, here's the good news is I feel like I've got a leg up on fellow newcomers because you know this, Mitch. My mom's a huge fan and actually a patron <laughs> of the podcast. So I have the inside info of what goes down on Mitch Unfiltered <laughs> to make sure she watched the tape with me. She went through some notes and said, hey, this is what you got to be aware and ready for. Uh, and so I feel like that preparation has really helped me. So I owe a lot to Becky. Uh, so Brady, no, you don't think we're going to get any rookie nerves from fan at all? No, I've played golf with this guy. He, he's got ice water in his veins, <laughs> and he's got the advanced scouting report from his mother, so he's, he's in good shape. Uh, I guess the first natural question, Brady, and then we'll go to Joe, is how do you cover the 2020 
NFL draft for ESPN. Do you sit in your family room in front of a TV like the rest of us with a beer in your hand, Brady? <laughs> uh, I, I'll, I'll probably stick to LaCroix or something non-alcoholic during the draft, but I'm going to be in the in you know Central Command where I live on my boat. Going to be watching it on ESPN just like everybody else and um, trying to figure out what the Seahawks are doing and just reacting. Um, you know, like the like everybody else is. So it, it's it's kind of an, an uncommon setup. And I'll just to let you guys, the the listeners, in real quick. Covering the draft at Seahawks headquarters is great because usually they let the reporters up into one of their defensive meeting rooms and sit adjacent to the cafeteria. So we could eat all their great cafeteria foods, cakes, <laughs> endless amounts of snacks. So I'm definitely going to be missing that this year. Uh, but the show must go on, as we know. So uh, we'll, we'll be doing that from home. Joe, how about for you? Yeah, it's going to be an adjustment, not being um, you know, at the, a team facility to cover a draft, right? I'll probably put a suit on just to where I feel like it's – you know, it's a big event, right? So let's let's take off the sweats and, and the, the T-shirt and, and throw on some nice clothes and uh, be ready. And I'll probably, you know, find a special chair and, and get a setup to where, you know, all these GMs around the league have their setup of all their monitors and their phones. And I'll probably try to do the same while I'm watching uh, the draft from home. Um, it, it is genuinely going to be a, a very different experience, you know, kind of being at your place where, you know, the draft is such a big event. And, again, like Brady said, you know, the, the team facilities, it is – uh, you feel that, you know, and you have that kind of sense of the gravity of what these moments are. And you get the conference calls where everyone's kind of huddled around the phone and the press conferences and all of that. And so it all is a little bit different. But, you know, I think thankfully the mechanics of the draft is all pretty similar in, in, in a sense of, you know, teams send like, you know, a travel guy or a trainer or someone kind of nefarious or you know, random um, nefarious is the wrong word, uh, but someone random to go just basically answer the phone, write a name on a card, and turn it in. So I don't think it's the, the mechanics of the trade it, or of the draft itself is going to change a whole lot. Do you guys, and we can start with you, Joe, and, and then hear from Brady, do you guys think we're going to play football? We're going to have NFL football on time in 2020? I do. You know, I think the season will go on, and it might look different, and there might not be fans, but uh, one of my favorite lines, and I just heard this recently from Scott Van Pelt, is uh, I choose optimism because it costs the same. And I just like that approach of, you know, I have the faith in the medical professionals around the world who are spending day and night, seven days a week, trying to attack this virus and, and make progress to a point of where we can get back to normalcy. And, you know, you get beyond just that and the hope standpoint and the optimism standpoint of, you know, we know the obvious financial part of this for the NFL and even without fans. And that hurts the individual teams that need the ticket revenue and the concessions and all of the game day um, income that, that comes with the NFL season and those eight home games and two preseason games. But at the same time, TV ratings would be through the roof and the NFL would still continue to, to, to make a ton of money. And you still have online revenue of merchandise and all of those things. So you find ways to split up the financial uh, income share um, around the, the 32 teams a little bit differently, potentially. But I do believe football is going to take place in 2020. Yeah, and, and, you know, as you know, Mitch, the, the Bernie Henderson Index has a hard enough time predicting <laughs> what the Seahawks are going to do, uh, whether they're either going to win the following week, and I cover the team for a living, so I'm not really confident in my ability to predict, you know, what, uh, what's going to happen regarding a, a pandemic like this. So, I, you know, I will defer to Governor Inslee, who said on the radio the other day uh, that he was hopeful. I think it was the way that he characterized it. Um, at the same time, you know, it's like I see on, on the news where – Places like Jacksonville are reopening their beaches, and um, there's enough people in this country who don't seem to be taking it seriously enough, uh, and that gives me some pause. 
But one thing we're seeing with the NFL is that, you know, the show, to whatever extent it can go on, it will go on. And we're seeing that, you know, we saw that with free agency. We're seeing that with the draft. You know, even though I think there's teams and there's GMs that object to that just based on the optics of it and, and the fact that, um, you know, guys are getting paid a lot of money and guys are getting drafted where that's clearly, you know, there's way more grave things going on uh, in the country right now. So I, even though, there is some disagreement about how the NFL is proceeding uh, as normal. It is proceeding as normal, and so they're going to do everything they can. Brady, let's start with you. We all know that the Seahawks and John Schneider are going to do whatever they can to trade out of that 27th pick to add picks, and I know that you have some information that maybe you'll share with us as I, as I toss the ball to you. First of all, tell us why you think in the research, what the research says in terms of trading back, especially from the late first round. And then we'll kind of graduate to Joe and have him try to predict what position the Seahawks will draft if they do keep the 27th overall. Brady? Yeah, this is kind of one of the, I guess, curses is maybe a strong word, but it's one of the drawbacks of making the playoffs in eight of the past 10 seasons like the Seahawks have is they're consistently picking in one of those final 12 spots is where the playoff teams pick. So 21 to 32. And I went back and looked over the last 10 drafts. There have been 28 Pro Bowl players selected from 21 to 32. So not total Pro Bowl selections, but guys who made the Pro Bowl drafted in one of those spots. If you go to 12 picks previous to that, nine uh, to 20, you've got 43 Pro Bowlers. So there's a pretty big drop off from the middle of the first round uh, to late in the first round in terms of talent, there's not nearly as big of a drop-off when you get from those next 12 picks. So uh, from 33 uh, to the next 12 picks, there's, there's 22 Pro Bowlers. So you go from 43 to 28 to 22. And, you know, in a given year, you know, there might be, I don't know, 18, 19, 20 players on the Seahawks board that they have a first-round grade on. So by the time their pick comes up in, in the mid-20s or 27 like it is this year, Chances are that the guys that are left are not first-round picks. They're second-round talent. So I think the thought there is there's not going to be a huge drop-off in the guy you can get at 27 to a guy you could get at 37. So why not trade back? You're going to save a little money on the contract, and you're going to pick up some extra selections. And that, that's kind of the, the tack that they've taken. And, and um, it's just because there's not a huge drop-off from, from late first to early second. Joe, what position will they choose if they choose at 27, do you think? Yeah, I think it's a fool's errand to try to predict because, I mean, John Schneider is seemingly always doing the opposite of what people expect, and uh, they they zag as other people expect them to zig and, and all of that. But I think if you're looking at their two biggest draft needs, it's it's pretty obvious in my opinion. It's edge rusher, obviously, with Clowney still not yet on the roster, and you have guys like Bruce Irvin and Benson Mayoa who are nice supplemental rotational guys and can be your number two and number three, but you still don't have that premier guy. And let's be frank, you're not going to find that at 27 because Chase Young goes number two overall, and those premium guys are going to go in the top 10, top 15 at the latest. But if there's a guy you like there – um, with some upside that you feel like you can develop, I think it behooves you to target that position. It's obviously a need that I think everyone understands, given that they just had 28 sacks in 2019 as an entire team. I think otherwise, you also have to look at offensive tackle. And if you look at what is here and now, offensive line, the offensive line is pretty much set. And I know we're going to get to that in terms of what's on the roster, but you've got to start looking down the road of who's going to be protecting Russell Wilson's blind side for the foreseeable future. 
Dwayne Brown is going to be 36 by the time the year uh, week one rolls around. And while I think he's still a very talented player, has good football left in him, he showed in 2019, he's a hard time staying healthy, you know, from the knee injury, uh, from the bicep injury that plagued him uh, much for much of the year. I think he'd be a perfect mentor for a guy to come in in the late first round to where you say, hey, we believe you're going to be our left tackle of the future but we're, we're going to give you the benefit of being able to learn behind one of the best of the generation in Dwayne Brown. Um, and I think he is the type of, of player and teammate to where he would embrace um, that role uh, to where, you know, to a degree where maybe other players wouldn't. And so all of a sudden, whether it's 2021 or 2022, you've got a left tackle who's ready to step in um, and pick up where Dwayne Brown left off. And, you know, again, when you have a franchise quarterback that you invest in so heavily, uh, you owe it to him and yourself and as a team and a franchise to invest in who's protecting him. And so to me, there's a lot of depth in this, tra- this tackle class, and I think the Seahawks should be you know, very aware in, um, of what's out there and who potentially might fall all the way to 27. You don't think I'm going to let you away with that. Give us a position. Stick your neck out. I'll say left tackle. I think the position is deep enough to where there's a guy there that they might fall in okay. love with. That's right. less of a project and less of – um, a guy you're just projecting based on upside and metrics and has firmer tape that you feel good about. Um, so I'll go tackle. Agree or disagree, Brady Henderson, ESPN? I, I agree that it's not going to be a defensive end. And I, I'm not saying I know that for sure, but I, that's my prediction is that it, as much as that is a need for them, it's arguably they're the biggest need on their roster right now, just a, an edge rushing presence. This draft is not very good in terms of top-end edge-rushing talent. And Joe mentioned that you know, even in a normal draft, you're going to have a hard time when you're picking in the late 20s to get an edge rusher who is able, able to come in right away and give you eight sacks. If you, if you use that as the benchmark and look over the past 10 drafts, there's not that many guys that were drafted late in the first round that come in and have that type of immediate impact. And I could see that happening this year especially just because – after Chase Young and after uh, Clavon Chason, if I'm saying his name right, I don't think there's that many, you know, surefire uh, first-round picks. You've seen guys like uh, Itur Grossmatos from Penn State. Um, you've seen him, uh, you know, connected to the Seahawks in a bunch of mock drafts. I don't know if they really see him as that first-round guy. So, um, and there's just, you know, there's other guys like that, AJ uh, Espinessa. Espinessa. Um, I think you might put him in the same category. I don't know if they would view him highly enough to take him uh, at 27. Maybe if they trade back into the second round, but um, I don't think so at 27. And so as much as that's a need for them, I, 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 if I had to pick a spot, I would say it's, it's, it's probably a, a defensive player. Maybe it's a linebacker. Uh, but I'm not going to say that it's a defensive end, even though that is everybody would agree that's their top need right now. Brady, every time I turn around, somebody writes an article that says Jadavion Clowney and the Seahawks are finished. They've gone their separate ways. It's very, very remote. The chances that the Seahawks are going to re-sign Clowney. We had uh, Jason Lockenfora, my old buddy on from CBS, on this particular podcast, and he says the Seahawks have played it perfectly. Perfect and he's going to end up coming back to the Seahawks. What's your gut on this? Yeah, no, I know. I, I agree with Jason there, and I think that it makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, he, and he's – and I've seen the reports there, too, that Clowney, you know, uh, that the door is closed there. From what I understand, the door is not closed from the Seahawks' end. They were in a position where they were winning on him for so long, and they reached a point where, where they had to tell him, look, we, we can't keep waiting on you. We, we'd still love to have you back. Uh, but they weren't going to keep waiting on him at the risk of losing out on other deals. And that was right around the time that they signed Benson Mayoa. 
which was an indication that they were going to do what they had to do. And if, if there was money left over and if he was still available later and if he could, you know, if his price came down, uh, that, that still something could happen there. And from Clowney's perspective, I don't think he's really in a position to be ruling any teams out right now. I mean, clearly he, what's happened here is that he wanted way more money than any team has been willing to give him. And it's taken him time to accept that reality. Um, Nobody wants to give him $21 million, and certainly you could look at the, the circumstances of this free agency period uh, as having an impact on that where teams can't bring him in uh, for a physical. He's a guy with enough of an injury history to where any team that's going to pay him a ton of money would want to have their doctors get their hands on him. I also think it's just a simple matter of the fact that teams don't want to pay top defensive end money for a guy who has never had double-digit sacks in his career. So um, I, I, I agree with Jason. I could see that eventually where Clowney – accepts reality and takes a short-term deal with the Seahawks. Look, if, if, if he does end up taking a short-term deal, the idea there is to position yourself well, have a strong season and, and be in a better position next off season to cash in. Well, what, what's going to give you a better chance of doing that? Going to a new team uh, where you've got to learn a new defense, a new locker room. Maybe that team is a three, four defense that actually has him dropping into coverage at times, as opposed to you know being able to, to primarily rush the passer. Um, so I think the Seahawks are a good fit for him, and I do know that he, he likes the Seahawks. He likes playing for Pete Carroll. In fact, I heard uh, from one source that Brandon Shell, the right tackle that the Seahawks signed in free agency, him and Clowney were college teammates. Clowney helped sell Brandon Shell on the Seahawks before free agency by telling him that Pete Carroll is a great coach to play for, a guy that takes care of his veteran players and whatnot. So Clowney does like it here, and I, I agree with Jason Lockin for I think it, it makes a lot of sense for him to return at some point obviously at a lower cost than what he's been looking for. And I would agree completely with what Brady and Jason said. Again, I mean, I'm not buying at all that the door is closed to Seattle. And until he signs somewhere else, I will not believe the door is closed to Seattle. So I lean yes to saying I would predict that he is back. Because, again, as Brady just said, and I don't need to reiterate and restate exactly what he just said, but I just am in agreement that if you are now relegated to signing a one-year deal, which it seems like that's where Clowney is headed, he's not going to get the lucrative multi-year deal that he was hoping for, right? So whatever factor you want to attribute that to, and I'm sure he's feeling a little bit snake bit, and I get that, um, but now this is your reality. And so you've got to find a way to recoup the value you feel like you've lost um, from what the payday you were expecting now. So if that's going to be a one-year deal, you go with familiarity. Familiarity is a huge, huge part of everything right i mean in terms of just everyone's life in terms of um you know feeling comfortable in your environment and your situation and so um we all thrive in places that we feel like we're most comfortable and so going to a place where you know the scheme you know it's going to be asked of you um i do believe that that there's more help on the roster now than there was last year and so again i, I think you suck it up you swallow your pride a bit and it's not going to feel good but you sign that one-year deal with seattle to a point of you know hey, I'm going to get this money now, and I believe you bet on yourself that, you know, come 2021, this time next year, I'm signing the $20 million average per year contract that I was hoping to get this year. On top of that, right, again, we talked about the optimism of playing football in 2020. Let's throw out the hypothetical of there not being football in 2020, and the next month or two indicates that it's less and less likely. comes to a point of some paycheck is better than no paycheck, and so there's that degree of it as well. Like, all right, you're not only, you know, betting on yourself that the longer you wait and be patient and your ability to go take a physical is going to help you out. You're also betting on 
coronavirus going by the wayside and there being a full 16 game season. So um, there is a possibility that the money that's on the table now is not going to be there in uh, May, June, July, or August, depending on how this thing plays out with the pandemic. All right, let's do some quick hitters at the first ever Seahawks no table. Brady Henderson and Joe Fan are with us. Otherwise, we'll be here all the way to the start of the draft. If the season started today, what would be the starting offensive line for the Seattle Seahawks? Well, I think everyone's waiting for Justin Britt to be cut for his eight and a half million that they'd get back in in cap space. But until he's cut, he's the starting center. And so uh, I go Dwayne Brown, B.J. Finney. I don't think they signed him to put him on the bench, uh, even though the Mikey Upati uh, signing was a bit of a surprise. Um, and then D.J. Fluker at right guard and then Brandon Shell at right tackle. Brady? Yeah, I'm going to go Dwayne Brown at, at left tackle. Uh, at left guard, I'm going to say Chance Warmack. Uh, and at center, I, I'm going to go different from Joe here. I'm going to say that B.J. Finney is the Seahawks' starting center. And obviously, we know the situation with Justin Britt. You know, I, I was of the opinion, even before he tore his ACL uh, last October, whatever that was, that, that he might have been on shaky ground, even if he was healthy, just with how high that cap number is. And all of the moves they've made with the interior of their offensive line, you know, Chance Cormack, B.J. Finney, re-signing Mike Ayupati, uh, tendering Joey Hunt, uh, all of that to me points to um, it's just becoming harder and harder to see him sticking around at that contract. Now, maybe they could restructure him uh, and, and lower that cap number. But for now, I'm going to say B.J. Finney, uh, D.J. Fluker at right guard, and Brandon Shell at, at right tackle. Brandon Shell is uh, of the four free agents that they signed, that is the most surefire starter there. Why? Uh, but I do also think that B.J. Finney is going to be their center. Why Warmack? You know, this is going to surprise people because uh, you look at a guy who did not play last season um, and signed a minimum contract. I, I just know for a fact that they are very high on him and are way more excited about him than other people. And um, I have not seen the details in Mike Ayapati's contract, but based on the fact that he signed a month of the free agency, that tells me there's not going to be a ton of assurances there and guarantee. And, and I don't think he had a strong enough season last year to where he'd be guaranteed of anything. So, um, I, you know, I, to me, it's it's kind of a coin flip between Ayapati and, uh, and Mormack at this point. Um, obviously, there's other guys in that mix, but I, I just think based on how high – uh, I have heard that they are on Warmack. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have that coin flip turn in his favor. Brady, do you think Dunbar beats Flowers out for the right cornerback job? I do, yeah. And, and But I don't think that, that that necessarily spells the end of Trey Flowers. And Everything I've heard from multiple people in talking about this is they're not giving up on Trey Flowers. He's only been a cornerback for two seasons as a converted safety in college. And I think one oper- one possibility is Maybe he's their number three cornerback, and maybe you know it's Dunbar starting on the right side in, in early downs. Dunbar moving into nickel in, in passing situations. He played inside a little bit in Washington, and they think that he can do that. And maybe in that scenario, you have Trey Flowers come in as your third cornerback, replacing Dunbar on the outside. But, yeah, I do think that, that he is going to beat him out. Um, he, he might have less time to learn that technique. Uh, with a condensed offseason, but I think he's going to beat out Trey Flowers for that number two quarterback job. Hey, Joe, what do you think about the Effetti contract and whether that means that the Seahawks misplayed Effetti all these years, that maybe he wasn't even the best right tackle on their football team? I'd probably disagree with that. You know, they didn't pick up his fifth-year option, and the kind of reality you have is when you have big contracts out there, you've got to have some significant pieces who are making little to no money. And Jermaine Effetti fit that bill. And, you know, given his experience, and you kind of just chalk him up as a replacement-level player, if not just a tick below, but there wasn't anything on the roster that you can point to and say, oh, this was an obvious better option. 
Um, and so if they were going to go find an obvious better option, you have to go pay for that option in free agency, which just didn't make sense. And so I think it, it does point to, yes, it makes sense why, yeah, they had to move on from him this offseason. They went with Brandon Shell over him. And I think, you know, everyone was surprised how little – Fetty got, you know, and now he's being asked to probably, you know, change positions and go back to being a guard and, and then those different things. But I don't think you look back and say, you know, the revisionist history of this just confirms the Seahawks had no idea what they were doing and made a mistake when it came to sticking with him for those four years. Brady, what are they going to do with all the tight ends? They're going to hope that those guys can stay healthy. And then that's why, that's why you saw them, uh, you know, sign Greg Olson for five and a half million dollars. And I think another part of that was they assessed, they took an early look at this tight end draft class and said, that's not a great draft for tight ends. And, and you know, some of the, you've seen in, in the mock drafts, there's not, I don't, I don't think I've seen a first round tight end in any mock draft yet. You also saw at the combine that group as a whole didn't really light it up in terms of testing numbers. So uh, that's why they paid Greg Olson money. Obviously, he's 35 years old. Will Disley's coming off the, uh, uh, you know, the Achilles injury. But I think in an ideal world, Greg Olson is your number one target in the passing game from that tight ends. Maybe he catches 40 passes. Maybe Disley, um, you know, kind of continues that upward trajectory. But there's question marks with those guys. And, and you know, Jacob Hollister is maybe the one sure thing that they've got there. And that's why they, they, they're paying him, you know, over $3 million dollars. Uh, on a second round RFA tender. Let's let's end with this one. We'll let both of you take a crack at it. We'll start with you, Brady. Brady Henderson, ESPN Seahawks insider. If I asked you to compare where the Seahawks are right now, today, with no Jadeveon Clowney, even though you think he's coming back, no Clowney, no draft choices, just who they have, who they lost, who they brought in, compared to where they were at the end of the season, you would say what? I would say they are slightly better. And and obviously, you lose Jadeveon Clowney in this scenario. You you pick up Benson Mayo and Bruce Irvin, um, two guys who, for what they are, which is value signings and, and you know pass rushing depth, those are good pieces. I I still think one Clowney is better than you know each of those guys. So you take a little step back there. Um, I think the offensive line is better. They certainly think their offensive line is better. You've upgraded at right cornerback, which was something that they needed to do. Um, and then, you know, obviously Greg Olson, we just talked about him. That, that could be an upgrade for that tight end room. So, um, obviously, we saw how important the pass rush is last year. Their defense was bad across the board, and it was largely because of that pass rush. So you can't discount the fact that you're losing your best pass rusher, or at least you don't have them in this scenario. But I think they've done enough elsewhere to upgrade to where I think that they are at least a little bit better now than they were at the start. Okay, of the and before we get Joe's answer to that, Brady, that means that if they're slightly better now than they were at the end of last year, then should Clowney come back and they add some decent talent in the draft, then they have a chance to be what you would call substantially better next year than they were last year, right? They do, but I would offer one one caution there is that with, and I mentioned this earlier, the possibility of a shortened offseason, I think it could be harder to count on immediate impact from your rookie class. And, and certainly, you know, I mentioned okay. the, the fact that, that that's going to be the case with the defensive end. You can't count on that guy drafted late in the first round, early in the second to come give you eight sacks. But across the board, you know, rookies across the NFL might have a harder time making an impact. So I don't know if you can count too much on a, on a huge boost from your draft class, but just in terms of the veteran moves they've made, uh, I, I think they're, they're in a better position now than they were. Is LJ Collier going to give them anything? 
Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, if it, it, look, it, there wasn't a huge, there wasn't a very high bar that he set last year. So anything that he does give them is going to be okay. uh, better. But, you know, I, I have heard from different people that I've checked with that, you know, they think he's going to be fine. And they don't think that the fact that he contributed next to nothing last year is indicative that he is a bust. And the thing that I keep hearing is, you know, sometimes it takes time for those guys to develop. And one quick point I'll make on him only started for one season at TCU. So he was kind of raw coming out. And obviously any any rookie needs reps over the summer. But a guy like him especially needed those reps. And it was pretty a big setback for him uh, when he suffered that ankle sprain in training camp and missed basically all of the summer. Um, so I, I, I could see him taking a jump that Rasheem Green took last year when he had a similarly nondescript rookie season in 2018. Uh, ended up you know having three and a half, four sacks, whatever it was last year. I could see LJ Collier taking that Okay, Joe, you answer the question. You get the last word here. Where are they right now comparatively to where they were at the end of the season last year? I would agree that they're they're better, but just barely. Uh, and Brady went through all the moves, and I think the one that you would just add is Philip Dorsett could be quietly a nice signing in a situational uh, spot where the Seahawks really struggled to have that consistent and quality number three option at wide receiver behind DK Metcalf uh, and Tyler Lockett. And I imagine they'll add somebody next week in the draft um, but the idea that, that Philip Dorsett could come in and, and be a piece that contributes, especially, obviously, anytime you add more speed to an offense, I think it's helpful, especially when you have Russell Wilson, who's one of the best, if not the best, deep ball thrower in the NFL. I would also point to this, you know, outside of just the, the combo of Benson Mayoa and, and Bruce Irvin being a, a boost to your rotational pass rush, I think the, the not having – Ezekiel Ansah is a major addition by subtraction. Uh-huh. I'm of the belief that, you know, he was someone who you look at Clowney's three and a half sacks. Well, look at who was playing opposite him and he gave you nothing. And I understand that Ziggy Ansah was signed to a one year prove it deal to where he wasn't heavily invested in, but they still expected him to be their number two pass rusher. And the reality is that um, he didn't give you a whole lot outside of that week 12 game against Philly, where all of a sudden you were looking like he might've turned the corner and he just really didn't. He fell flat from there after that. So it was kind of a, a flash in the pan game. So to me, the combination of Benson Mayoa and Bruce Irvin is a massive, massive improvement over what you had, um, you know, from, from Ziggy Ansah. And I think Shaquem Griffin and Rasheem Green count on them on taking a step forward. You count on LJ Collier giving you something. And all of a sudden you feel much better about where your defensive line was depth wise, comparatively speaking to last well, year. And I think that's also before you talk about, um, Jaron Reed, where, you know, coming off a suspension, you're dealing with an ankle injury. You, know, you hope that he wasn't himself and he can bounce back, and all of a sudden you're getting kind of a value deal on a player who is just a year removed from a double-digit sack season. So if he's able to take a step forward, got some other guys who are better, um, I think overall the depth is, is massively improved on the defensive line. And, again, you know, I think when you have a, an improved secondary, and I think Quentin Dunbar in terms of what he's put on tape, and granted he hasn't played a full 16-game season, which is why having Trey Flowers, even if he doesn't win the job, you could do much worse from a, from a number three corner, but the secondary's improved. It all works together. That helps the pass rush as well. And you have less busts in coverage. You make quarterbacks sit there a tick longer, and all of a sudden guys are getting home a little bit easier. So I think it all plays a part. And so, again, just summarizing better, but just barely. Yeah, but neither of you guys talked about the loss of Quentin Jefferson, who was a very, very solid player, maybe better than solid, certainly better than a lot of us expected last year, right? Better than solid, but not a loss you can't overcome, in my opinion. That would be my take on that. I think the way people view uh, Quentin Jefferson is is more of he was 
the best of a bag of nothing rather than this player who had this breakout year that was now a huge void in your defensive line that you can't replace. That would probably be my mm. opinion of it. Yeah, Brady, um, Brady, you, post, Brady, yeah. Brady, do you agree with that? I do, yeah. I think he was a good player, maybe even an underrated player, but that's a guy I think that you let somebody else pay him. You get the cheap years out of him, and you let somebody else pay him, especially when you look at the fact that you know with him, their defensive line – wasn't all that good last year, and so to what extent do you want to pay to keep everybody? Um, I think I think LJ Collier, who we talked about earlier, could end up taking some of that role, that that Quint Jefferson role of plays inside, plays outside, uh, and is maybe doesn't play as much as Quint Jefferson did in a starting role last year, but it gives you a little bit of that versatility to move inside in passing situations. Boys, this was great. Thank you very much. Let's do it again. I hope you guys enjoy the draft. Brady Henderson, ESPN Seahawks insider. Thank you, Brady. Thank you, Mitch. And Joe Fan making his debut on Mitch Unfiltered. Really appreciate it, Joe. The dulcet tones of Joe Fan, or or as we like to call him, Becky's son, Seahawks insider for NBC Sports Northwest. Thank you, Joe. I enjoyed my maiden voyage. Thanks so much for having me, fellas. So there it is, the first ever Seahawks no table as we kind of get you ready for the NFL draft Seahawks style and we recap the offseason that's been for the Seahawks what they've done what they haven't done and if there is a year if there is a season coming up how strong will the NFC West Seattle Seahawks be have they done enough to get themselves prepared for a run at the Super Bowl joining us on the Zeke's Pizza hotline is the president of Zeke's Pizza Dan Black Dan how's everything going at Zeke's Things are going well. Seattle has discovered that they can get beer delivered to their doorstep and that Zeke's is the best at it. You know, we're doing quite a bit better than we would have expected this time when all this stuff hit. Talk to us about that. What makes what you guys do so different than everybody else? You know, we're known for having one of the best beer lineups in the Northwest uh, and not just for a pizza place, just, you know, one of the best beer lineups, period. And, um, you know, we've delivered beer for a while. It's always been popular. One of the things that has happened during all this is that the Liquor Control Board loosened some restrictions so we can actually deliver draft beer now. Uh, That great beer lineup is something that is now accessible to everybody in Seattle to get delivered to their door and has just been extremely popular, you know, to the point where we've almost run the Northwest out of growlers at this point. And so um, we feel fortunate that Again, when we talked last time, we were going to rally around our delivery and takeout business, and that's what's happened. And um, our position in beer has just turbocharged all of that. Hey, Dan, how about the faces on healthcare workers across the Northwest as we continue to deliver Zeke's Pizza as a small thank you? No, I, I got to tell you, I'm glad you brought that up because that has been the coolest thing going through all of this. I mean, of course, we feel fortunate to, um, again, have enough business to rally through. Um, there's been a lot of places worse off than us but i will tell you that the thing that has got our stoke going the most here mitch is all the stuff that you've been doing we get turbocharged on all the picks that you've been sending around and we just feel we feel a overwhelming sense of community and it's really cool you're the one being generous and thoughtful here but we feel really good that we're playing a part in it it's been really cool for us over here so we appreciate it so if anybody wants to order some pizza and beer for themselves or if they want to order some pizza and send it to a healthcare worker or a friend or a loved one remind everybody the two or three ways that they can do that dan the best way is the app it's really easy it's going to ask you for an email and a password but after that you have pizza and beer at your fingertips for the rest of your life so the app is definitely the best way to go Online at Zeke'sPizza.com is good. If you do want to talk to a really great crew member that will be super helpful, 
285-8646. We'll get it done. We love Zeke's Pizza. Always have. And their beer, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. This was a tough first round matchup set in Hawaii, right on, right on the co- right off the coast of Kona. They Is that ran right. The, yeah, that's where the first round matchup between Magnum PI and Hawaii Five O. Both shows set in Hawaii. Both shows with great theme songs. Yep. But Hawaii Five O takes out Magnum PI, and we have to say goodbye to Tom Selleck. He had Doberman Pinchers in that show. Well, I, told I grew you, up with Doberman. In the eighties, the most scary, the most scary, the scariest dog on the planet was a Doberman. Anytime we a had movie, one. TV show. Always a Doberman pitcher. We had one until June 19th, 1985. Oh, that's right. You remember. Yeah. Oh, I remember the day like it was yesterday. Good dog. Never like snapped at anyone. Or? We, we had family members because the reputation of Dobermans was they, they're going to turn on you. Yeah, right. Yeah, so we had an uncle. I had an uncle, not Uncle Mike, okay. one of the other uncles. <laughs> the seasick uncle. Uncle, Ber- uncle Benji used to say, they're gonna, he, this dog is going to turn on you. Yeah, people this are dog is going to turn on you. This dog is going to turn We just laughed. This dog This dog did not know it was a Doberman. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's cool. Did people, yeah. were they a little people afraid? People were so yeah. scared of her. Yeah. Uh, every movie. She showed those teeth. Oh, she yeah. barked the mailman. Any, any, yeah, but, but people didn't realize is if you got close to her, she ran in the other direction. <laughs> really? <laughs> Some guard dog, huh? <laughs> Terrible. She didn't invite you in. Tom Selleck was maybe the coolest guy on the planet for a minute. Can, d- does, yeah. does he have that distinction? Yeah, I think so. Not cool enough to beat Hawaii Five O. Yeah, well, at least theme song wise. Yeah. So, that's that. Goodbye, Magnum PI. That's that. Uh, are you, so you're going to watch the NFL draft, and we are going to do. We announced it earlier. We're going to try to do a Zoom call. Yes. A Zoom conference call on the computer with. However many listeners want to join, up to 100. I, I can't imagine there'd be more than 100 that want to get on with us. On Thursday at 4 p.m. before the 5 o'clock NFL first round of the draft. Are you excited for the draft? See, I don't normally, as I said in the first segment, I don't normally get up for the draft. I think it takes entirely too long. It's overanalyzed. People kind of pretend that we know about these guys. All these experts know about these guys, but do they really know about these guys? Yeah. I mean, like literally – Three months ago, when they were all seniors in college, none of us knew about any of them, just about any of them. So I'm the I'm typically the guy in normal situations that's like, <clears throat> let the draft go. I go do something else, and then tell me who the Seahawks drafted. Who tell me who the Dolphins drafted? Not this year. This year, I'm literally gonna have a I'm gonna count down the seconds. <laughs> I have a countdown in my room. Nice, like up on the ceiling. You guys better get going, <laughs> Baltimore. You better hurry this up. I, I got a countdown to when the NFL. I'm just looking for something in the NFL draft to something. And the Dolphins are kind of a centerpiece of this. People will talk a lot about the Dolphins and are okay. they gonna take two and they got 14 picks and. They got like three first-round draft choices. So the Dolphins are a major part of this. The Seahawks are just going to probably do what they always do, trade which is down. trade out of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but anyway. I always, I always have a lot of curiosity. Joe Burrow. Yeah. Like guys like that. Tua. I want to know. Yeah. I, I really want to know where they're going. So I don't know if I'm super excited for it, but I'm very curious to see. Okay. Did you watch Tua's workout video? I saw what they what was being passed yeah. around. Yeah. I, I think I'm. Uh, this is why I'm not a scout. I thought he looked kind of shitty. <laughs> I what, really wasn't. What do you know? I really wasn't that impressed. What did you think? I'm hoping the Dolphins draft him. Okay. Yeah. It may be that his injury, maybe it's an injury thing and he'll never be the same from this hip injury. I, I can't speak to that. I'm hoping the Dolphins draft him. We haven't had, we, the Dolphins haven't had a, a decent quarterback since a guy number that wore number 13. That long? It's been a long time. Would he retire, 98? Well, he retired the year that they played the Seahawks in the playoffs. Oh, yeah. The next week they got clobbered by the Jacksonville Jaguars and that was the last game of his career. 
I think that was 98. And that was the year that I was supposed to have him on the radio. And Oh, yeah, right. I remember that. I was out of business with the Miami Dolphins. Yes, I'm still out of business with the Miami Dolphins, <laughs> so why do I even care? <laughs> anyway, before we get off of the whole draft thing, did you see that they had the WNBA draft the other day? I did. It was very it was heartfelt. A, oh, God. It was touching. Very touching. I don't know if everybody knows it, but they had these honorary draft choices to the three young ladies that were on that helicopter with Kobe Bryant. They were all drafted in the WNBA. They were all aspiring WNBA players. Yeah. And uh, they did a very nice thing to, to call them, you know, to actually call their names out and, and do the draft thing. Anyway, yeah, very that was sad. Very sweet. I, have you noticed we haven't talked COVID-19 yet? And I'm, part of me is enjoying that. that yeah. We really haven't, have we? It used to just consume us and we couldn't stop talking still about toilet me. paper. Is it still? I was going to ask you. Yeah, it still consumes me. I did hear a date of May 15th, maybe, of something happening. Have you heard that date? Or I mean, I've heard a lot of dates. Yeah. I've heard Are a lot still of obsessing? dates. obsessing? Yeah, oh yeah. Fauci and oh, the whole yeah. thing? Oh yeah. I, I'm just concerned about all the other states that are not doing it as well as we're doing it and haven't been. And just wonder whether, as I've said before on these shows, whether we're only as, as strong as our weakest link. Yeah. Well, our state now has protests. There was 2,500 people in Olympia as we, oh. were, as we record this. Oh. One of the signs said, give me liberty or give me COVID-19. It's easy for me to say you guys are idiots, but I know people are desperate and people are losing money and they, maybe they don't have any more money left. Right. And when people are desperate, they maybe don't think rationally. So this is a tough one for me. I, I get it. I, I get where some of these people are coming from, but... This uprising is starting to make me a little nervous. Well, it's make, believe me, I'm very nervous. And when we restart, however Washington decides to restart, and whenever Washington starts, you know, does the restart, hits the restart button, I don't know. I'm going to be good and worried. Look, I'm 53 years old. I'm not 75 years old, but I'm not 25 anymore. Yeah. I'm 53. I, I can't even believe I'm saying that. I, I've, I'm the youngest in my family. I always, I always was the youngest to where I worked, and then I wasn't all right. of a sudden. You're the new kid in you're town. You're always the new kid and yeah. young and whatever, and then all of a sudden you're not anymore. I'm 53. I'm seeing people that are 45 without underlying conditions get this thing and, and die. Right. Quickly, too. I, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to go. I got more unfiltered to do. That's right. I, and I, I'm scared. I'm scared. I don't want to get this virus i don't want to get this virus i know the percentages are in my favor that i'm i'm relatively healthy i'm young i'm in pretty good condition and i know i have a great chance if i get it but i don't want to test it i i, I really don't want to see right and when we restart it's going to be out there it's going to be out there the question is to what end is it going to be out there and how close are we getting i'm you think i'm going to a seahawks game anytime soon yeah what about a restaurant once those open back Not up. Not if I can't be away from everybody. Yeah. I know. I got to be away from everybody. I, I'm, I'm pe- I, 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 petrified is probably strong. I'm scared. I don't, I don't want this. Right. I don't want to test to see if I'm strong enough to be. I, I don't want to play that game. <laughs> yeah, you're out. The truth is, I wonder if I already had it. You know, that's the yeah. other thing. I'd like to know. I'd like to be able to take one of those antibody uh, tests so that if I had it, I could do some blood transfusions for other people. Right. You know, they're saying that somebody who's got strong antibodies that has had it can really through blood transfusion really help a lot of people they get they, they get better like quickly, this yeah. bam they're yeah. better it'd be nice to know i'd love to be able to do that yeah anyway sorry to bring up covid-19 but it was kind, it was I got kind one of nice la- that we haven't talked I about i got two last things one i'm kind of uh, actually the one that i want to joe buck is one of the least <laughs> go ahead doesn't everybody hate? We've talked about this. Everybody hates Joe Buck, right? Yeah. Sports fans. I've hate asked Joe Buck. you to explain it to me. I still don't really get why people they hate don't him. like Joe Buck. There's I'm, a series. There's a myriad of reasons. Yes, okay. I'm not like. I'm not one of those people. I've, I, I know him a tiny bit through another guy, a, a mutual friend. 
I think he's fine on TV. I think he does a good job on baseball. I think he does an okay job on football. I am not an anti-Joe, but okay. I know the sports world hates Joe Buck. Yes, they do. But it's funny. At, at every turn, when he pops up into the news, he does something that makes me wonder, why do people hate him? Because he's so he, he, he There's another guy who's a little bit self-deprecating. For and, sure. Uh, and he totally understands that people hate him, and yep. he embraces the That's fact right. that people hate me. People hate me for whatever reason. Well, a porn site, and I don't know what porn site it is, probably All one right. of your favorites. Play dumb. Go on. I don't know which one it is. <laughs> do, you have, do you have no, one of the porn sites uh, offered Joe Buck $1 million to do play-by-play of amateur videos, sex videos. That's right. Six weeks of work for a million dollars. He basically would have to commentate 25 live cam shows per week. Live cam shows. Through the end of May. Live cam shows. And in return, seven figures. But do you see see what he said? It's it's the reason why I can't watch the Jordan thing with my my family. I got a a live cam show. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Those are probably the ones making the most money these days. (laughs) Live cam shows. Sure, yeah. Let's hope they're six feet of distance. Buck says he's flattered, but he's uh, going to pass at this point in his career. (laughs) Well, not only, but that's not what's the best part of the whole story. You've missed the punchline. Oh, really? All right. Yeah. It's what he tweeted. His exact words. Greg Brady, the Brady Bunch, exact words, Mom. We're playing by exact words. Remember that episode? I Probably don't. don't. No. Famous Brady Bunch episode, exact words. Here were his exact words when offered the million dollars by the point. And this is why you gotta, you kind of got to like Joe Buck. Yeah. He writes, and I quote from his Twitter, depending on the site, they're probably just handing me some of my money back. <laughs> so I'll hold out for a better offer and try to hold on to my day job. But I have to say I'm flattered. Depending upon which porn site, they're probably <laughs> right. just giving me some of my money back. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, it's funny. I don't know why everyone hates him. Yeah, it's weird. Come on, that's a great line. It it's a, a self-deprecating line. line. Yeah. I'm a customer. I'm that's, a customer of these right. websites. I'm, they're just giving me my money back. He could have just said nothing or right. acted like he was above it. Right. Yeah, it's great. It's yeah. great. I love Joe Buck now. Ah. I know you're a big fan of Bush Beer. No. <laughs> well, Bush beers. Most people aren't. Bush beers given a uh, given free beer to couples who have postponed wedding plans due to the coronavirus pandemic. So a lot of peas in that. Yeah, I know. I was <laughs> trying to go sideways on it. In a Twitter yeah. post, the company yeah. says your wedding plans may be on ice for the time being, but we want to give you a wedding gift of ice cold Bush for a year. So it's a sweepstakes, and if you had to cancel your wedding because of the pandemic. You go online on Twitter and you do the hashtags and you can win free Bush beer for a year. So there you go. Have you heard of the all in challenge? No, I haven't. Celebrities, multimedia megastars, actors, actresses, athletes. They're being challenged by each other to donate through the Fanatics website. Experiences for auction or for um, lotteries. Okay. So example. Somebody challenged, one of the famous people's challenged Justin Timberlake. Justin Timberlake says, okay, I got it. I'm on. I'm going to donate. I just got off the phone with Bruce, uh, Bill Murray. He and I are going to play golf with two of you, with you and a friend at Pebble Beach. We'll wow. fly you there. We'll pick up the hotel reservation. We'll have dinner after. We'll play a round of golf at Pebble Beach. You, me, you, you, Justin Timberlake, Bill Murray, and your guest. Amazing. And they do a bit. And all the money goes to the charities, the food drives, oh. and all the charities. And then he says, so now I'm, now I'm challenging Tiger Woods, and Tiger Woods has to do it. So what's ended up happening is this: there's this compilation of huge mega experiences and prizes, memorabilia, <laughs> <laughs> all kinds of stuff. So like, uh, Alex, you should, you should check it out. It's called okay. it's the All In Challenge. 
all these things are being auctioned off, and some of them are not even auctioned off. They just let you buy tickets, like buy a ticket for a buck, buy twenty five tickets for twenty five dollars, and oh, then I see. and then they 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 raffle it off. Oh, they cool. have like raffles, so like you Alex Rodriguez, spend- an hour long hitting lesson, lunch with a Rod, one of Alex Rodriguez's World Series trophies, Magic Johnson. Here's something cool: Magic Johnson was challenged, so he said, "Okay, I'm in." Uh, how about a game of horse with me at the Staples Center? Oh, I'll fly it. you here. You play me in horse at the Staples Center. Uh, Magic will visit your city and have a one-hour appearance wherever you want. Uh, hosted dinner by Magic in L.A. for you and 10 friends. And uh, sweet seats to a Lakers game with him. It's my favorite I mean, player so, of all then, time. And then I'm he in. says, and I challenge Mark Cuban. And then Mark Cuban gets on Twitter. And he says, okay, I'm in. Oh, yeah. I'll, do, I'll do a one-day contract for you as a Dallas Maverick. We'll sit you on the bench. And then he says, I, I challenge Peyton Manning. And then Peyton Manning says, okay, I'm in. I'll, I'll auction off. I'll fly to your city and play in a golf foursome with you and your and your two friends, or and I'll host dinner at a restaurant for. The, so it's just going so around. Cool. So all this money, millions and millions and millions and millions are are being raised because everybody's coming together all in and doing these these funky things. I love it. I love it. It's a great story. Yeah. yeah. So you go to the Fanatics website if you want to see uh, if you want to bid on anything. Can Peyton Manning play on my flag football team for just one game, please? At quarterback, can you imagine him throwing rockets out there? Know, can uh, he still throw rockets? I've do you have a flag football no, team? No, I don't play flag football anymore. It's been a long time. Are you familiar with the Florida Man game on the internet? It's Florida Man? Florida Man. It's been going around for a while, but I don't know if you... Oh, Floor 2 Man. No, Florida. The state of Florida? Florida Man. My, Florida my home man. state, yeah. Yeah, you heard of it? Yeah, I have. So somebody, count well. somebody figured out that if you type in the words to the search engine of your choice... Florida man and your birthday. So your birthday is April 11th. Florida man. 1967. Right. Do it. You don't have to do the year. Just Florida man, April yep. 11th. There April will, 11th. All right. There, there will be some news story about a maniac. Somebody getting arrested. Some Florida guy doing something stupid and getting arrested. I tried it for mine and there was, there were like three. This actually works. The state of Florida packed with criminals. So here we go. Watch this. Florida man. What are you saying about my home state? <laughs> I think we've all known for a while. Yeah. April 11. Yeah. <laughs> now you're worried. <laughs> I think most we know. Oh, here we go. Uh, Florida man is behind bars after screaming obscenities and threatening to destroy everyone with an army of turtles. <laughs> that was the first news story. It works for every birthday because there's so many maniacs in Florida and every I mean, there's so many criminals. We really need maniacs. something to do, don't we? <laughs> I think it's kind of interesting, though. It worked. God. People are going to stop doing that for a few for a few episodes of this Michael Jordan thing, and then we'll get back, right back to that. <laughs> That's right. Try, I'm telling everyone, try your birthday. In between, in between Michael Jordan episodes and the draft, we'll have, what, three days? Three or four days yeah, yeah. we can do Florida Man. That's Is it right. FloridaMan.com? No, you just type in Florida Man mm-hmm. and yeah. then the month and day of your okay. birthday. Okay. And there will be a news story about some Florida guy, some maniac, doing something illegal. I don't like this. I think I'm going to edit this part out. <laughs> I that's think my you- home state. I love my home state. <laughs> well, there's a reason you haven't lived there for 23 years. No, no that's not the reason, going though. To pot, not about, it's not about turtles. <laughs> okay. No, it's just that I got a job here and had a family. I love my home state. Well, don't rag on my home state. Uh, well, don't it's be, not me ragging on it. I didn't create the game. I'm poo about Florida. I love Florida. couple RIPs you may have seen. This one's not going to mean anything to you, but to wrestling fans, Howard Finkel passed away at 69 years old. Not don't know who that is. Don't know who that is. The first ever WWF employee. He was the ring oh. announcer forever. Okay. So any Hulk Hogan match you saw just about in Madison Square Garden, it, the, the thing would come down. And oh, yeah. Scheduled for one fall. It was always scheduled for one fall, as if there'd be a match with... 
two. I don't even know what one fall means. So Howard Finkel, rest in peace. And this one was kind of rough. Brian Dennehy. I always thought he was a great actor. You're kidding. I didn't know that. Yeah, passed away. You love telling about people who passed away. Well, I like to give, <laughs> you love spreading the news. I like to honor Brian these Denny, people. Not, not COVID-19. No, he passed away. It uh, was a uh, cardiac arrest due to sepsis. Oh, God, I, li- I like him. He was a great actor. His great break- character actor. He always played like a hard-ass sheriff. Yeah, like a sheriff. Yeah, I was going to say the sheriff. same thing. Florida sheriff. <laughs> Maybe a little corrupt, too. Yeah. Either a hard-ass or oh, corrupt. Oh, I liked Brian Dennehy. Yeah, me too. I'm sorry to hear that. His breakthrough role was uh, First Blood with Stallone in 1982. All right, we got to name the show. If you want to do just, like, accomplishments on the playing field, I think Tony Gonzalez beats... Lynn Swan, Michael Irvin, Michael Irvin Eric yeah. Lindros, John Mackey, maybe, even though that's a Hall of Famer, Atula Mealy, probably Nips, um, <laughs> if you want to just do that. But I, I, here I'm going to say, let, let's just, let me just remind you of two guys. Okay. Lynn Swan, who was the graceful wide receiver of the Steelers. He was a four-time Super Bowl champ. He was an ABC commentator. He was a game show host, to tell the truth. He ran for governor of the state of Pennsylvania. Is he a USC Lost. guy? Did he go USC, to USC. Okay. He was on the board of directors of Heinz. Hershey and Wyndham. Wow. He returned to USC as the athletic director, uh, the great Lynn Swan. I don't know if you want to consider things, accomplishments off the field. Pretty accomplished guy. Sure. He's also a member of Augusta National, which we won't talk about. He, uh, his ex-wife, by the way, married Sugar Ray Leonard. He was married. What? Yeah. Lynn Swan was married. Do you know the Platters? Sure. Yeah. One of the daughters, the daughters of one of the guys on the Platters, married Sugar. Oh, my God. Hold on. Married Lynn Swan. Divorced Lynn Swan, okay. married Sugar Ray Leonard, but that was only after Sugar Ray Leonard divorced Juanita Leonard, who went on to marry Otis Nixon, the center fielder for the Atlanta Braves. But I digress. Is that right? It's did all true. Did you make all that I up? I didn't make any of it up. I it's all true. Well, who's Felicia Rashad married to? Or, Felicia Rashad would be married to Ahmad Rashad. No, no, but didn't we have an Otis <laughs> Nixon? No, you're thinking, you're thinking of the... Uh, Norm Nixon, okay, God, the guard of the, of the Lakers, <laughs> yes. it was married to... Fame. Yes, Debbie Allen, Debbie Allen. All right. I who I believe is the straight. sister of Felicia Rashad. That's why I thought it was Felicia. All right. I'm really good this way. People was going to hire We're going to hire me a long time. Uh, <laughs> anyway, anyway, uh, but I mean, this one's hard to beat. Alan Page. See, you don't remember Alan Page. He's a little before both of our time, a little before your time. He was part of that purple people eater defense on the Minnesota Vikings. Had a great. Yeah. And he wore number 88. He okay. was big defensive end, outside linebacker, defensive end. Great player. Went to Notre Dame College Football Hall of Fame. Went to the NFL NFL Hall of Fame. Was the first defensive player named MVP of the league. It had never happened. Wow, he was the first guy to ever do it. Then he retires, goes into the Hall of Fame immediately. And after he retires, become a lawyer, then becomes a judge, and then becomes a Supreme Court justice in the state of Minnesota, Jeez. is awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom, for God's sakes. This is a member of the Purple People League. <laughs> right, yeah. He's, uh, he's number 88, Alan Page. Uh, it's an accomplished fella. But he was also good on the field. Great. Yeah, it's not like we're taking He was great. Some, yeah. He was, a def- he was the MVP of the league as a defensive player. It's impressive. Wearing 88 as a defensive player, yes. too. Yes. All right, I'm, I'm, you sold me on Alan Page. I'm all in on Alan Page. Still alive, Alan Page? 
Huh? Still alive? That yeah, guy? yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, he's probably he he retired at age seventy. There was a, there's a law that said you had to step down from your supreme step down from the Supreme Court at age seventy. Okay. So he's probably close. He's probably in age, I, I believe he's still alive. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. All right. Well, he'll bearded, be bearded, white beard. You can't picture him, Alan Page. I can't. Right, whatever. So he was on the defense at the time. Fran Tarkenton was the yes. quarterback on those teams. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. Yes, you got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Episode Alan Russell Page. Wilson I'm before in. Russell Wilson. Fran Tarkenton. <laughs> yeah, running for his life. Episode Joe Exotic is in the book. <laughs>